0: Strain and increasingly expensive. There are no agreed solutions so far, but initial suggestions include greater medical involvement with the new 111 helpline and an emphasis on doctors and nurses from different teams working more closely together seven days a week. The report says crowded accident and emergency departments are a growing threat to the safety of patients. Other services for sudden medical problems, such as walk-in centres, vary hugely in what they provide and are therefore confusing.
1: Ten wind turbines are being erected on land near Langford in Bedfordshire. They're being built by the co-op group, despite a petition of more than 1,000 signatures being drawn up against them. The firm's spokesman is Rob Ellis.
2: I entirely understand that everyone doesn't like wind turbines, but some people do. I think it's a good site. In terms of proximity to housing, we went through a comprehensive planning inquiry and it was considered fully and it was felt that it is a suitable location. And hence, planning permission was granted.
1: A leading children's charity is warning that pregnant women and new mothers faced a postcode lottery when it comes to the availability of mental health services. The NSPCC suggests the well-being of more than one in ten newborn babies in England could be improved if all new mothers with mental illness had equal access to good services. Sally Hogg wrote the report. There's a real lack of, kind of specialist psychiatric services
3: for ladies who get very, very ill during this period. And one of the things that we particularly want to highlight is the lack of mother and baby units, which are special kind of hospital units where a mum who's got a severe mental illness can go in with her baby and both of them can get the care they need.
1: The cooperative bank is understood to be close to announcing a deal with regulators to plug a hole of around £1.5 billion in its balance sheet. Any agreement is unlikely to involve taxpayer money or affect savers. In sport, Justin Rose has won the US Open. It's his first major golf title and he's the first Englishman to lift the trophy since Tony Jacklin in 1970. The weather today is going to be dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 14 degrees Celsius. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash threecounties. And suddenly, it's
4: Monday morning again. How did we wind up back in this box? Never mind, it's a nice day. I had to wear my sunglasses to drive in, only for sections of the road. Let's not get carried away. But at 4.45, sunny's on. Yeah, sweet. Sweet as today is officially summer. Don't waste it. Whatever you're planning to do, don't do it. Enjoy the sun. It goes tomorrow, that's it. We've had it after after this. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including death rates in care and nursing homes are to be monitored by the regulator, the Care Quality Commission. Well, the CQC has told the BBC's Panorama programme it wants to root out failures in basic care. It's estimated that a third of care and nursing homes in England don't meet all the necessary standards. Well, it's something that concerns me, but do you worry about going into a care home? Work has begun on a controversial wind farm, aren't they all? In the Bedfordshire village of Langford. Many locals don't want it. But do wind turbines actually look that bad? And David Cameron has left a tip that's bigger than the cost of his meal. Meanwhile, across the Atlantic, a New York restaurant has banned tipping, saying its staff gets paid enough. Well, when did you last tip? And what's the biggest tip you've ever left? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR. Or, the best way, look, all of the phone lines are free. Who's going to be the first caller of the day? There's no prize. 08459 four double five five double five. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, a third of care and nursing homes in England don't meet all the necessary standards. That's the estimate from the Regulator the Care Quality Commission. It's the subject of tonight's Panorama programme. By using secret filming and carrying out exclusive research into nursing homes around England, Panorama exposes the pain of poor care and evidence of death hastened by neglect. Death hastened by neglect. There's a sentence. So I'm asking you this morning, do you worry... ...about going into a care home. Maybe you have seen a relative of yours, uh, your, your parents, your grandparents, maybe your husband or your wife, and you've thought... Do you know what, I'm not so sure I want to do that. Do you worry about going into a care home? Well, Justin Dealey has uh, been working overtime
5: this weekend and asking people what they think, haven't you, Justin? Yeah, see, I've been asking people that very question. Some fascinating views on this subject. Um, just take a quick listen to this. Betty, how concerned are you about going into a care home?
6: Well, all you hear on the television is te- they're terribly ca- uh, they have terrible care, and I would rather take an overdose and go in one.
5: You'd seriously rather kill yourself yes, rather than go to a care home? If
6: I've got all my marbles then, because if I haven't, if I've got Alzheimer's, I wouldn't know, would I? It's but very sad you've got that attitude, though, isn't it? Well, it is, yes, you expect... But that's, uh, it just happens nowadays, doesn't it? People don't care for old people.
5: Yes. Can you tell yeah. us what your concerns would be? I think it's the staffing, the care, the caring. It doesn't seem to be very good. No, I'd rather take an overdose like... I'll take it with her. <laughs> Ray, how worried and how concerned are you about going into a care home one day?
7: Well, I wouldn't want to go in one because uh, I all the bad publicity and, uh, you know, unless you've got a lot of money, you're not going to go into a good one.
5: I've just spoken to two ladies who said they would prefer to kill themselves ahead of going into a care home. Would you go along with that?
7: No, I think life's sweet. I wouldn't do that.
5: No, but it would concern you,
7: though? Oh, it would certainly concern me, yeah. I've got no, I've got no confidence at all in care homes, or even, you know, all the cuts that this government's doing. You can't have, you know, if you pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys working there. And they're always the lowest paid workers, unfortunately, which are not going to attract the better sort of people that care. How long did
4: it take you to find those uh, women, Justin, who said, if, if I'd rather kill myself than go into a care home? The first lady I
5: spoke to. Really? Uh, incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I mean, you can call that a small sample, call it what you want, but, but two out of three people there, two out of those saying they would prefer to take an overdose rather than go into a care home. Personally, I found that shocking. Uh, Justin, so
4: do I. Thank you very much indeed. Well, Julia Johnson is Chief Executive of AGE UK in Buckinghamshire. Uh, Julia, that's uh, quite a, sta- a sad outlook, isn't it? I, they, th- those ladies would rather kill themselves than go into a care home.
8: Um, yeah, it's, it's really rather frightening. And um, one, one thing worries me, that we hear all this bad publicity and there are undoubtedly some poor care homes. But there is good quality care as well. Um, and I see I think the, the worry is that we're frightening older people unnecessarily at times.
4: Well, the, the, the CQC do say that a third of, of care and nursing homes don't meet all the necessary standards.
8: Yes, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I think there are quite a few care homes, certainly some that I know of, that um, don't always have the necessary training in place, particularly with regard to dementia patients. And that is a problem, but um, the guy you spoke to a few minutes ago, your reporter spoke to, who who hit the nail on the head, I think, he said, unless you've got a lot of money to go into a really mm. good one, and I think that's the problem.
4: You, I believe you, you, you you're soon going to have personal experience of this. Your, your mum's living at home but, but may have to move into a care home, is that right?
8: Yes, I mean, she, she doesn't live in this area, um, but... Yes, she, she's got multiple um, physical problems and she's beginning to get dementia. And I think a care home is not too far off. So it is, it is quite worrying because it's, um, it's, it's very worrying when you're caring at a distance. And a lot of people of do uh, because you're not on the spot. And, of course, you haven't got the opportunity to do the research on care homes in your area. Uh, Now, obviously, um, UK we do have publications which um, help people uh, ask the right questions. You know, what are the sort of things you need to look at in a care home? And I think anyone who's in my position or or indeed planning um, the eventuality that they may need to go into a care home, um that sort of literature is really useful and what
4: kind of things do, 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 should people be looking out for what kind of questions should they How, be asking
8: it, it's interesting isn't it because the the most expensive ones may not necessarily be the best mm. um uh, usually there's an element if you get you get what you pay for but but not necessarily but um i think it's the attitude of the staff i think it's 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 the regimes they have. You know, if people are allowed to visit whenever they like, well, that's great. If people aren't allowed to visit at certain times, why is
4: that? Are there there care homes where you can't just drop in and see your mum?
8: Um, I have come across one. Really? I have to say, not locally. No. I, I have come across one where they, you know, they say, well, they have a fixed visiting time. Oh, dear. Um, which, which is quite sad. Now, it might be for the reasons that they need to get people, you know, fed, and, and it's much easier without visitors wandering around. But it's those sort of regimes that you need to look out for, which, which is where there are problems. Things like, you know, if, if people just do a perfunctory knock and then walk into someone's room. yeah, that, That's not all Because It's
4: maintaining uh, the, people's uh, the dignity and respect, absolutely.
8: isn't it? It is, it is the dignity, and it is... Um, treating people as human beings with all their full rights and entitlements. And I think um, if children were treated the way a lot of our older people were treated, there would be a national outcry.
4: Well, we, again, we, we, going back to Justin's um, piece, we, we we heard one of the ladies say something I thought was quite pertinent. We don't care for old people.
8: No, we don't. We don't because, um, well, I, I personally think there are all sorts of reasons. I think that... There's, there's a, a fear of aging because intimations of mortality. We don't want to think about it. Um, children and pets are far more attractive than old people. They're a much more heartwarming story. And we're always shocked and horrified um, when something goes wrong in a care home or, um, not necessarily a care home, someone's own home. They're being cared for at home. But if something goes wrong, we're always horrified. But actually, we don't seem to want to put the um, resources in place to make sure that that sort of thing is minimised.
4: Juliet, nice to talk to you, uh, and best of luck with the situation with your mum. I hope uh, you know you find somewhere good for her. I'm sure you will. Julie Johnson, Chief Executive of Age UK uh, in Buckinghamshire. Well, do you worry about going into a care home, dear listener? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. pounds meal in uh, pizza express you can imagine david cameron being in pizza express excellent desserts excellent desserts but i just can't imagine big big ice creams and cake nice but i can't imagine him being in there 45 pounds meal he left a 50 pounds tip 50 quid tip i i get very uncomfortable with tipping my honeymoon was ruined because of tipping anxiety when was the last time you left a tip we'll talk about that more after the travel with adam glenn Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs.
9: BBC Three Counties Radio. Cheers, Ian. Good morning. Nice and clear out there on the roads. It's a bit of a gloomy start to Monday morning, but if you're making a drive nice and early today, your routes should be clear. There are no problems reported so far this morning, unless you're heading a little bit further around the M25. anti-clockwise. three lanes have been closed off after an accident in the early hours of the morning with a car and a van involved and it's at Junction 14, the turn for Heathrow Terminal 4. So it's been closed off since before 2am. They did reopen one of the lanes for a brief time. At the minute, it's just lane 4 that's open past the scene of that accident at Junction 14 on the anti-clockwise side. Everything else, though, is doing absolutely fine. We've had no other problems reported. Trains and tubes running to time. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey, Rep fans!
4: It's nearly 6.17. It's Monday the 17th of June. It's summer today. Enjoy it. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The G8 summit of some of the world's most powerful leaders opens in Northern Ireland today amid international divisions about the civil war in Syria. Care watchdogs are set to investigate death rates in care homes for elderly and vulnerable people in light of a BBC report due to be screened tonight. In sport, Justin Rose has become the first Englishman to win the US Open since Tony Jacklin in 1970. Coming up, we'll be talking about the safety of taxi drivers. A taxi driver was assaulted last week and left with bleeding to the brain. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. BBC
10: Three Counties Radio. Oh. We'll a problem with a company, a council or an organisation, there's one man you should come and speak to. You've got
11: a problem with a mattress, I gather. Tell me all about it without naming any company name.
10: Jonathan Vernon-Smith.
11: Every time she tried to book, the trip was cancelled because of adverse weather.
10: The JVS Show fights for your rights and tackles your consumer problems.
11: Send the receipt off and you'll get the check in the post. If you need our help... I went to speak to the man that runs this golf club.
10: Email jvsshow at bbc.com
11: I'm just very pleased that you've got the money. And we could do the same for you.
10: Thanks so much, Jonathan. The JVS Show on BBC Three Counties Radio.
12: Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Georgia headed for the Frisco Bay. Cause I've had nothing to live for And Look like nothing's gonna come my way. So I'm just gonna sit on a darker bay, watching the tide roll away. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting on a darker bay. and this loneliness won't leave me alone Listen, 2,000 miles I roam Just to make this dock my home Now I'm just gonna sit at the dock of a bay Watching the tide roll away Ooh, I'm sitting on a dock of a bay Wasting time
4: Oh, wait, 459-455-555 double five, five, double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. We will be talking tips a bit later on. I, I, I want to know when was the last time you tipped? And do you struggle with... I get very anxious about tipping. It ruined my honeymoon... It wasn't the only thing that ruined it. Uh, but I get very anxious. We'll talk tipping in a bit. Oh eight four five nine 555 is the phone number if you want to give me your tipping stories. Now, the Moores murderer, Ian Brady, will be seen in public for the first time in nearly five decades later today. The 75-year-old is due before a mental health tribunal. He wants to prove he's sane so he can take his own life. He's been on hunger strike for 13 years at Ashworth High Security Psychiatric Hospital on Merseyside. He's kept alive because the authorities there are legally obliged to force-feed him. Brady wants to be sent to a prison in Scotland where he was born. It would effectively allow him to starve himself to death because Scottish prisons don't force-feed inmates. Dr Chris Cowley is a forensic psychologist who's interviewed Brady. He
13: says he's angry about his treatment. He says he wants to die. Um, he hates the force-feeding. It's very, very unpleasant. He's got this tube hanging out of his nose. He can't take it out if it's, it's in there all the time. Looks like a drip, you know, they sort of pump it, pump this fluid down, down the tube in his nose into his stomach, and it's like icy cold, and, and it's a very unpleasant experience, which takes a number of hours. After he's had his morning force-feeding, then he goes back to his cell and just writes a few letters, perhaps, watches the television, and then he has another force-feeding in, in the early evening. He hates it, obviously.
4: Oh, well, he shouldn't have killed those kids then. Really? Brady, Sorry, Brady and his partner, Myra Hindley, tortured and murdered five children in the 1960s. The details of those murders, far too graphic to describe now, but they remain some of the most shocking crimes ever committed. One girl was tape-recorded screaming and pleading for her life. The pair buried at least four of their victims on Saddleworth Moor near Manchester. A fifth body, that of 12-year-old Keith Bennett, has never been found. He was abducted on his way to visit his grandmother. No doubt you'll remember the haunting black-and-white photo of a young Keith smiling with his wireframe specs. His mother, Winnie Johnson, repeatedly appealed to Brady for information. She died of cancer last year, never having found her lost son. She was gravely ill when she gave her final interview to the BBC.
6: I'd just like to... See men asking face to face, why has he murdered him and kept it to himself? I mean, he got away with the other ones. They found the others, but they didn't find Keith. And that is a main asset for me. I want him found. And I want him found before anything happens to me.
4: When he was laid to rest with her son's uh, son Keith's glasses. Another victim of the Moors' murders was John Kilbride. He was 12 when he agreed to help Hindley carry some boxes to her car at a market. He was driven to the Moors and killed by Brady. John's brother Terry says Brady shouldn't be allowed to die until he gives up his
7: secrets. Why should he have a right for a hearing? He should be left where he is. While he's where he is, he's not going to commit suicide, is he? As soon as he's let over there, he's going to kill himself. Starve himself to death or hang himself or do something. While he's still alive, we still have a chance of finding Keith. Today's tribunal
4: was originally scheduled for last year, but Brady had a seizure and it had to be postponed. Doctors resuscitated him against his wishes. The hearing is expected to last eight days. It will take place at Ashworth Secure Hospital. But as Brady has requested a public hearing, proceedings will be relayed by video link for victims, relatives, and the media to watch at a court building in Manchester. Various expert witnesses will give evidence, but we don't know if Brady himself will speak. A panel of three will then decide if he's sane or not, And if he has the right to die.
10: Across beds, hearts, and bucks.
4: This
14: is Ian Lee,
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
4: So the CQC, the Quality and Care Commission, says a third of care homes don't quite match the standards they're supposed to match. Do you feel, are you concerned about the prospect of possibly going to a care home? You can text 81333, start your text 3CR, put your name on it like Nick has done. Nick says, whichever way you look at it, care homes are there to supply a service and have to make a profit. It's like any business, minimise costs, such as paying as little as possible for staff to make the most profit. It's that simple. Well, how do you feel? Are you concerned about the possibility of going to a care home? Oh eight four five nine 455 double, 555 double, End on that dramatic minor chord There's been dissension in the ranks here at BBC Three Counties I've just had a furious row Furious row with my production staff Who said okay, well, I hate this song, it's rubbish Sorry? What? It's Look Through Any Window by the Hollies Surely their finest two and a half minutes Of pure pop classicry It's not a word be- better than um, He Ain't Heavy. Better than Jennifer Eccles. Better than stop Better than... Cat. Ka- it's their best song. It's totally their best song. And uh, as a result of uh, those comments, I'm going on strike. Okay. Contractually, I'm not allowed to go on strike. But, but in my mind, I'm on strike. And that's the most important thing. Travel news for beds, hearts and bugs.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
9: Uh, I would generally agree, although I do like uh, the air that I breathe. That's Get on with nice. it, Glynn! All right, all right, all right. Boscombe Road in Dunstable, southbound, closed off for roadworks between Chilton Park and the A505. Now this is likely to get busy. They're doing major upgrade works to the Luton Road Boscombe Road junction. And they're going to be continuing for a fair few weeks. The M25 now through the roadworks section, it's running well. We've got problems a little bit further round, anti-clockwise. Three lanes of the motorway remain closed off for recovery work after an accident with a car and a van involved between Junction 14 and Heathrow Terminal 4 and just beyond there. Now, the congestion at the minute is back to Junction 16 at the M40, and past the scene of the accident there is only one lane open, Lane 4, the outside lane, which is no wonder it's starting to look very slow. Trains and tubes, though, still running without problems this morning. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sorry to snap you,
4: Adam. I just get very touchy when my judgement of the Hollies is brought into question, OK? Fair enough. Thank you very much indeed. There we go. News and sport with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs.
10: This is BBC C3 Counties Radio
1: the headlines. The G8 summit of some of the world's most powerful leaders opens in Northern Ireland today amid international divisions about the civil war in Syria. Care watchdogs are set to investigate death rates in homes for elderly and vulnerable people in light of a BBC report due to be screened tonight. And 10 wind turbines are being erected on land near Langford in Bedfordshire, despite a 1,000 signature petition by local campaigners.
14: Three Counties
1: Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Justin Rose made history overnight when he won the US Open Golf at Merion. The 32-year-old finished two shots ahead of Phil Mickelson and in doing so became the first English winner since Tony Jacklin at Hazeltine in 1970.
15: Tony Jacklin was the pioneer. Obviously the PJ Tour and you know golf has become a lot more global. There's a lot more of us um, you know, international players playing over here. So I think that to see us players start to come through and win these championships is probably was always going to be on the cards. But Jacklin did it maybe when it was out of the norm. And uh, we certainly grew up um, dreaming about emulating him.
1: Alistair Cook made a captain's innings as England's cricketers beat New Zealand by 10 runs to reach the semi-finals of the Champions Trophy. Cook was England's top scorer with 64 in Cardiff as they set New Zealand a victory target of 170 in a rain hit match reduced to 24 overs per side.
16: Maybe we we set our our, our sights a little bit too high, 180, 190. If we'd have got that, that'd have been obviously a very good score. But um, I thought the way we bowled those first four overs especially was fantastic. We just kept picking up wickets when we needed them today in in that chase.
1: Andy Murray's had the perfect preparation for Wimbledon. claimed a third title at London's Queen's Club with victory over Malin Cilic in three sets, 5-7, five, 7, seven five, six, three. Murray was delighted to win, having been forced to miss the recent French Open with a back injury.
16: I worked very hard in the, the time that I had off to try and get myself back in the best shape possible and I couldn't have done it. Uh, obviously, without my team, they've helped me a lot. They've been very patient with me and... Uh, yeah, It's down to them why I was able to come out and, and play uh, play so tough in um, the last two matches.
1: Finally, football and Watford and MK Dons are among the seeded teams in the southern section for today's draw in the first round of the Capital One Cup. Stevenage and Wickham are unseeded. And that's your latest news in sport. More from me at 7 o'clock. I think you said Care Watchdoggers. No, I didn't say watchdoggers.
4: If someone is listening on the uh, BBC iPlayer, just go back about two minutes. Does Catherine Boyle say uh, (laughs) care watchdoggers? Oh,
1: stop it. Uh, Do you think I'm doing subliminal messaging?
4: (laughs) Oh, we know what you got up to at the weekend in the New Forest. Steady. Call 08459
10: 455 555.
4: BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, when was the last time you left a tip? And uh, could more be done to protect our taxi drivers? But before that, leaders of some of the world's biggest economies are meeting in Northern Ireland today for the G8 Summit. It's being hosted by David Cameron and issues on the agenda include talks on the Syrian crisis and how to stop global tax, dodge- tax dodging by multinational companies. President Obama and President Putin are among those attending in County Fermanagh over the next two days. I've probably said that wrong, have I, Gavin?
17: Well, it wouldn't be the Northern Irish way, but it's a way. It doesn't matter. You can say it the way you want. Thank you very much. Now, the most immediate, difficult and divisive issue on the agenda,
4: it's got to be Syria, isn't it?
17: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you've got all of these world leaders uh, in a pretty beautiful part of Northern Ireland, a uh, pretty remote part of Northern Ireland, not remote for uh, a coincidence, given the, the security involved in trying to stop the, the protesters, as previous G8 summits have um, shown that they can get quite fiery. Um, we have all these world leaders from Russia, the US, Japan, Canada, France, Germany, Italy. Four of the five key world powers are part of the UN Security Council. Four of those p- five powers have got the power to veto decisions on Syria. There's only China, which isn't part of the uh, G8, not attending. Uh, Br- Britain, France and the US, we know favour some kind of increased support for the opposition. The Americans are going to start arming the opposition. The Russians continue to arm the Syrian government, on the other hand. And so so you have all four together and it looks very unlikely to change in terms of getting an agreement to have all um, sides, the UN, arming the rebels because Russia, well, there's a press conference with David Cameron and Vladimir Putin yesterday, a pre-G8 press conference in, in London. I don't know if you saw any of it, Ian, but uh, it was pretty uncomfortable. You know, that both sides were equally... Um, vehement, David Cameron and Vladimir Putin, as to why they should or shouldn't support either side. And I think they'll clearly stick to that. The one small hope, I think, that we, they could probably get an agreement on by the end of tomorrow night uh, in County Fermanagh is getting a potential meeting between the opposition and representatives of President Assad's government. And even that's a, a sticking point. That's not easy to do. What else is on the agenda? Well, there's big issues that they always look at, which is gl- the global economy, and certainly at the moment Western economies. I was at uh, previous G20 and G8 summits over the years, and sometimes they become a bit of a talking shop. You don't get much from them, so I'm not sure how solid that will be. The other big issue is a, an, uh, well, how th- what David Cameron describes as an attack on tax evasion. You know, He feels that his hand is stronger now, getting an agreement from British Overseas Territories and two European countries who've been quite loose on tax to clamp down on tax I think the real difficulty is stepping back from this and looking at the fact that you you have David Cameron trying to persuade other countries, and that's key, because it's all right for David Cameron to say Britain is going to make it more difficult for multinational companies to base themselves here and not pay tax. The risk is they'll go elsewhere. So he wants to try and get all eight countries to agree and then to put pressure on others. I I think it's still quite far away for that. Another brief uh, mention is for for the EU-US trade agreement, which has been talked about in the past, which could unlock some of the pent-up demand within the global economy. So, a number of issues. I think the the biggest factor will be Syria, though. Always protests, or usually protests, uh, at these summits. Uh, Any big demonstrations planned? There have been lots of demonstrations over the weekend. I mean, bear in mind, you've got such a global attention. You've got so many TV networks from all over the world. So whatever the issue is, people come out for the smallest, most local of issues as well, because they know they're going to get global attention. They were saying that. There were 2,000 people protesting through Belfast over many issues, um, climate change, um, the economy, uh, Make Poverty History um, campaigners as well. Uh, there were some loyalists over the weekend as well outside Belfast City Hall. But it was I called the police this morning in Northern Ireland. They said there were no arrests. Overnight, we do expect them to be to be more though t- today and tomorrow. But given it's on a huge log, it's on what's called Locker and this huge, so five star golf complex. Um, you know the the security is incredible, so it's it's something that the the protests will see will be in, in the nearest town in in Ellis, itself. Do these G8 summits actually achieve anything, Gavin? Well, there's lots of issues over the last one for Britain, which was the Make Poverty History Summit in Glen Eagles, because there were some pretty significant commitments by countries. Lots of bits of paper going around for the journalists saying, you know, we've agreed to ease the debt on third world countries, we'll agreed to provide more money for aid. But even now, we look back, there's only about two thirds of that money being, that was pledged actually coming in. You know, nearly ten years on from that. So there are questions. Some MPs, certainly British MPs, describe it as a healthy scepticism. But, uh, yeah, sometimes it's, it becomes a talking shop no more than that. Other times there are real decisions taken and, and hopefully there'll be something on Syria this time. Final question, Gavin, if, if, if I can. This is probably the most important one. The uh, front page
4: of The Sun this morning suggests that Obama has won a Cold War with Putin by booking a gym, so Putin had to use an outdoor pool. W- what's the, the inside scoop on this? <laughs> yeah,
17: well, I, you, know, we, you know, we know Putin is, is fond of being bare-chested and showing his Russian manliness. It, it goes down well over there, especially in Siberia. So it's not the end of the world if he, if he is seen outside uh, swimming or water polo or whatever he likes to do. Judo uh, in a pool, maybe. Um, you know, the, the thing is, is, this is my favourite bit, because they've had a huge uh, five-star resorts. David Cameron was asked recently, you know, how do you get these world leaders in? Who goes where? And he said, well, it's up to me. I'm keeping it discretionary. But no doubt, in a couple of days' time, we'll know who's got the top penthouse suite. It's bound to be the Americans, isn't it? I'm looking forward to finding that out. Gavin Lee, thank you very much indeed.
4: I want to hear your tipping stories, please. 08459 four double five five double five. Are you one of those people that refuses to tip? And if you work in the service industry, what's the biggest tip you've ever had?
18: Are you a man who loves and cherishes and cares for me? Is that you? Is that you? Is that you? Are you...
4: in my hand. Well, I just put my headphones on. I think Catherine Boyle may have broken these last week.
18: My headphones just collapsed.
4: of oh, a... right, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up, just how safe are taxi drivers? But, but, before that... What a wobbly voice that lady has. Uh, before that, are you a tipper? Are you a fan of tipping? There's two tipping stories out the last couple of days. First is, a restaurant in New York, the home of tipping, uh, is, is putting an end to tipping. This restaurant says, look, we're going to pay our staff a bit more, put a little bit more money, uh, charge a little bit more for the food. You don't need to tip. Fantastic. If you go to Japan, go to Tokyo, the greatest city in the world, bar none, you don't tip. You don't tip anybody. If you leave some money as a tip on a table in a restaurant, they chase you down the street. They're offended by it. You don't tip a taxi driver. You pay them what it says on the meter. It's brilliant. Takes away the anxiety. Over here, oh, man. My honeymoon was ruined. Um, We spent a week in India. And the whole culture there is based on tipping. And I I became Woody Allen for a week. The whole week, I'm there with my wife going, do I tip him? how much do i tip him what's the tip so, so so 600 rupees what's that that's like 20 pence is that a good tip i don't know is that over here is that a good tip oh it was awful and then i made the mistake of asking the tour guide how much i was supposed to tip the driver not realizing of course they're in cahoots they're in cahoots and so the 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 the, the company that i booked the holiday said "Well, you know you tip the tip the, the car driver maybe 800 rupees uh, the tour guy says, oh, no, I'll tip him 3,000 rupees. Oh, they're in inco- Do I tip him? Do I tip them? David Cameron has been to Pizza Express, which I find, for some reason, I find that shocking. I don't know. I would be more shocked, I suppose, if he went to a KFC and bought a family bucket. But it surprises me. Cameron leaves 50, this is in the mail. Cameron leaves 50 pound tip for his 45 pounds meal. For a man once criticised for not leaving a tip, David Cameron was leaving nothing to chance on one of his date nights with wife, Samantha. There's a whole different story. They go out on date nights. Oh, oh, gosh. Like that film, Date Nights. After the couple shared a meal, costing about £45, pounds, Mr Cameron left £50 pounds for staff at a pizza restaurant in a show of generosity that left fellow diners wondering whether he'd saved on his bill with a discount voucher. Val- £50? So... He left m- more than the cost of the meal in tips. Well, That's just ridiculous, isn't it? The Prime Minister was dining in Soho after watching a portrayal of himself in the West End play the audience. He ordered a 12 pounds 75 rusticella pizza, while Mrs Cameron opted for a 10 pounds 90 lasagna classica. The ca- kakoki okay, my stomach now we're talking about food. The couple shared a bottle of red wine and a portion of dough balls but the meal at Pizza Express still would have cost less than £50 had it not been for the hefty tip. Well, I think £50 is excessive. I don't like leaving tips, and I've fallen out with Catherine Boyle this morning because she's, she she once dumped a boy, I think, because he didn't leave tips. It makes me anxious. Just charge a little bit more. There's all this this, this anxiety. and do, How much? 10%? 12%? Oh. Are you a tipper? When was the last time you left a tip? And if you work in the service industry, or you work in a bar, or, or you a restaurant, what's the biggest tip you've ever received? I remember back in the day, back in the day being very, very drunk and having a birthday party at a bar, I left a, v- a very big tip. Oh, dearie me, ridiculous. Oh, it wouldn't say very big, it was like 100 quid or something. I know, I know. Very, very drunk. Well, that's one of the reasons I stopped drinking, was the tips I was leaving. When was the last, t- last time you left uh, a, a tip? And what's the biggest tip you've ever received? You can give me a call, 08459 four double five five double five, or you can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR.
9: Travel news for beds, cards and bugs.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
9: Ian, I couldn't agree with you more I find it awkward, I find it weird It's difficult to work out what you're supposed to give And I've had fights with my fiancée about it Because it, the culture over in North America is different It ends relationships, Adam Catherine Boyle split, split up with the love of her life Because of tipping Oh, I see, if I think service is good, I leave 10% If I think service is not good, I leave no tip Well, let's, see, let's Canada, see, Adam Supposedly, you're supposed to leave 10% even if service is bad Adam, let's see if you're going to get a 10% tip at, at the end of this report, shall we <laughs> Okay, M1 Southbound, slow-moving Luton to Redbourne, M25, busy anti clockwise, Waltham Abbey to Enfield, then from the M1 to Kings Langley, and the biggest problem this morning, further round anti clockwise, three lanes closed off, an accident as you go past Heathrow Terminal 4 at Junction 14. Delays of nearly two hours approaching that closure, congestion back to Maple Cross at Junction 17, because for the moment only one lane remains open past that accident. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the service charge off this bill if that's all right, Adam. Thanks very much.
4: It's Monday the 17th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The G8 summit of some of the world's most powerful leaders opens in Northern Ireland today amid international divisions about the civil war in Syria. Health watchdogs are set to investigate death rates in care homes for the elderly and vulnerable in light of a report due to be screened on Panorama tonight. In sports, Justin Rose made history overnight by becoming the first Englishman to win the US Open since 1970. I say history, it's golf history. Coming up, we're talking tipping. David Cameron left a tip that was more expensive than the meal itself. What a show-off. He also bought dough balls. Oh, that's nice. What a lovely date. What was the largest tip you've ever left? 08459 455555. We'll have that and more after the weather with Kate Kinsella.
3: morning where we're waking up to a little bit of cloud around this morning not too much we have had some brightness but unfortunately it's not going to last if you haven't got it already we are seeing some rain moving across all three counties some of that rain actually quite heavy from time to time as well now eventually later on this afternoon it should start to dry out a little there's a northeasterly breeze but it's still going to feel rather pleasant we're looking at a maximum of 18 celsius later on this afternoon that's 64 degrees in fahrenheit now, now, we're hanging on to the cloud overnight tonight, so it's going to make things feel a little bit muggier than we've been used to. We're still potentially going to get one or two sharp showers overnight tonight, but the minimum for most of us staying in double figures around 11 Celsius. A similar day tomorrow. We've got more in the way of sunny spells, though, and depending how long the sun stays out for tomorrow, we could be seeing the temperature raise a little bit. We're looking at a maximum of 22, 23 Celsius, so potentially quite warm tomorrow. But again, that could spark off one or two heavy showers. That's your forecast.
14: Every weekday from three, Roberto Peroni. The bosses of a Milton Keynes lorry driver who died after falling asleep at the wheel have been found guilty of manslaughter. With the best local news stories.
19: At the moment, Christmas in Luton is at risk.
14: We'll do our best. We'll work with the the business community and other sponsors to fund the Christmas lights. The best local travel. Multi-vehicle crash on the M1 northbound. Just as you come from the M25, it's going to get busy. Three cars involved. With the best local talking points. Because I was
8: born female, that was my first sin, if you like,
14: and I don't think I've ever been forgiven for it. Roberto Peroni weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. Who
4: wants a brilliant song about someone speaking to someone's mum? Yeah, I do. He's speaking to someone's mum on a telephone. Love this. A little bit of Dr Hook. Sylvia's mother. Yes,
20: please. Sylvia's mother says Sylvia's busy, too busy to come to the phone. Sylvia's mother says, Sylvia's trying to start a new life of her own. Sylvia's mother says, Sylvia's happy, so why don't you leave her alone? And the operator says 40 cents more for the next three minutes, please. says Sylvia's packing. She's gone believing today. Sylvia's mother says Sylvia's marrying a fella down To make us start crying and stay And the operator says 40 cents more For the next three minutes Please, Mrs. A. Sylvia's hurrying, she's catching the nine o'clock train. Sylvia's mother says, take your umbrella, cause Sylvia, it's starting to rain. And Sylvia's mother says, thank you for calling, and so won't you call back again. And the operator says 40 cents more For the next three minutes
4: It. I love Dr. Hook. Let's get uh, Dennis Le Corrier, the lead singer of Dr. Hook, on this show, shall we? Yes, we shall. We shall. Because uh, I have his uh, email address, so I will send him an email and ask him, and he might say no. I don't know. He's brilliant, and he's lovely, and he's got such a good voice. Man, that's a good song. Now, tipping this morning. Uh, uh, tipping makes me so anxious. It makes me so uncomfortable. Uh, you, you're in, uh, meals have been ruined By my tipping anxiety I have in the past And I'm not afraid to do this I have in the past um, Asked the uh, waiter to bring the bill back With the service charge taken off Because the service Is there, is there a problem? Yeah, you weren't very good i don't think sometimes the uh, wait i don't think you can take the service charge oh yes you can oh yes you can if i ask you to you can i've done that uh, but the whole tipping thing it's just a, a nightmare isn't it i've i've ruined meals by being anxious about how much i should be giving and if there is a service charge you don't need to give a tip on top of that do you or do you And is it 10%? No, it's not meant to be 10%. Adam Glynn, the travel gentleman, mentioned 10% earlier on. It's supposed to be, well, 12.5 to 15, I think. 12.5 is a bit tight. When you go to the States, apart from this restaurant in New York that's introducing kind of a ban on tipping, when you go to the States, you have to tip everybody. Why would I give money to a boy for carrying my bags up to um, my room? I can carry my bags up to my room. In fact, I do, when I'm in Amer- American hotels. Sir, would you like me to take your bags up? No, I'll take them. Oh, no, sir, it'll be my pleasure. Let me take your bags up to the room. No, I'll take them. Sir, let me take your ba- I'm taking my own bags up. I can carry them. They've got handles. I'm not going to pay someone $5 to get in a lift with me. Because that's what it is, isn't it? And I, I went to the States um, recently, a little while ago, and you're supposed to tip everybody. Ah, I don't do that. I play the naive, dumb English guy. Well, this morning we sent out Justin Dealey to uh, ask you about whether you go tipping. It's a bit of an art form, and uh, Dealey's been finding out more.
5: Well, Marion, you work at Nice Baps here in Henlow. Um, love the name of the shop. When it comes to tipping, do you get lots of tips here? You work in the service industry? Um, no, we don't. We just, um, it, usually if we have um, change left over, we put it in the charity box. So even if people do tip, you don't get it yourself personally? No. Does that frustrate you Are people a bit stingy around here? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> now, when you go to a restaurant yourself, are you somebody who likes to tip? We've heard Ian's stories today. He's not a big tipper. What about yourself? Do you automatically tip people?
21: Yes, I do. I usually give um,
5: 10% of the bill even if the service is bad you still tip
21: well
22: if, if <laughs> in that case no <laughs> yeah.
5: But general rule for you about 10% or so usually yes what's yes. the best service I'm going to put a question out there what's the best service you've ever received in any restaurant anywhere on this planet can you think the best service no not of hand right. <laughs> general rule, 10% for you but usually yes and last question anybody who doesn't tip in a restaurant do you think they're a bit tight Yes,
21: I think so. Um, you know, if the waiter or waitress of goes out of the way to help you, um, then I think I think um, I think they do earn a good
20: what, 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 what
4: does she mean? Go out of the way to help you? You mean bringing you the food that you're paying for yeah Is, is that what you mean? Is that not going out of the way to help you? That's their job jen of houghton regis has texted in a 50 pounds tip this is the tip that cameron left uh, for a 45 pounds meal went out on a date night with uh, sam cam they shared some dough balls. <laughs> do you fancy a dough ball, sam yeah why not a 50 pounds tip says jen that's more than the meal never leave a tip dining out is expensive enough as it is i was once chased off a swedish ship by a waitress because i didn't tip her A Swedish ship. Here's a tipping scenario. I don't know if ladies have this. This may only be a men's thing. Sometimes, in men's toilets, we have a man. There is a man that hands you paper towels. After you've done a wee-wee and washed your hands. As you know, I don't like to wash my hands. I feel obliged to wash my hands when there's a gentleman sat there. He has sweets. He has sweets. He has perfumes and scents and paper towels. You're supposed to tip him because he's given you a paper towel. I'm being told that they have a variety of products in ladies' toilets as well, with, with someone working there. How can you... I can't respect anyone that works in a gentleman's toilet, let alone tip them. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
9: I'm agreeing with you a lot this morning. At the M1 southbound, delays of about 15 minutes from junction 11, the A505 down toward 10 at the Luton Airport Spur. It's looking slow through there. Then as you head into London on the A1, we've got delays in Boreham Wood from Stirling Corner down to Mill Hill Circus. Heavy traffic on the A10 through Enfield as well, so if you're going into London that way, Bullsmore Lane down to Southbury Road looks like there's queues. M25 now anti-clockwise, slow moving from Waltham Abbey to Enfield, junction 26 to 25 into the roadworks. Busy from the M1 to Kings Langley, Junction 21-20 to But the biggest problem this morning Three lanes of the M25 are closed anti-clockwise for recovery work After an accident at Junction 14, Heathrow Terminal 4 The congestion is back to Maple Cross at Junction 17 With delays of nearly two hours There is only one lane open past the scene of that accident Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio Thank you very much, Adam Coming up in the next hour, we may be talking about taxi safety. That's if we can get
4: hold of uh, our guest. A little bit more on G8. And what are your thoughts about possibly going into a care home? Does it fill you with fear? On FM, AM, online
14: and digital radio.
4: This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
1: seven o'clock, I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines, east-west tensions as G8 begins, care watchdogs investigate panorama findings, and work begins on Bedfordshire Wind Farm.
14: BBC Three Counties Radio.
1: The leaders of some of the world's most powerful countries are gathering for the G8 summit amid bitter international divisions about the civil war in Syria. From the summit in County Fermanagh, James Robbins reports.
11: The shores of Loch Erne are the backdrop to this summit, but the political foreground Syria's civil war is harsh and divides the leaders. The American and Russian presidents backing opposite sides will use private talks to seek some way forward. Both say they want peace talks, but on very different terms. David Cameron, as the summit host, insists the two-day gathering can inject positive momentum. But he faces widespread opposition among MPs to increased support for the rebels. And President Putin is well aware of Western reluctance to get drawn in further. A breakthrough here would be remarkable.
1: Health watchdogs will look into death rates at care homes for the elderly and vulnerable in light of a report due to be screened on Panorama tonight. The Care Quality Commission has told the programme's producers it will examine the figures as part of a pilot scheme to root out failures in basic care. Ian Lee's touching on this story in this morning's show, asking do you worry about going into a care home. Julia Johnson from Age UK in Buckinghamshire is worried that bad publicity is giving people the wrong impression.
21: We hear
8: all this bad publicity and there are undoubtedly some poor care homes but there is good quality care as well. Um, and I, I think the, the worry
1: is that we're frightening older people unnecessarily at times. Despite a petition of more than a thousand names, work has begun on a wind farm near Langford in Buckinghamshire. Ten turbines are being erected by the co-op group. Their spokesman, Rob Ellis, insists that despite local opposition, Langford is the ideal location.
2: We're never going to keep everybody happy. It is you know, a very well-chosen site and the fact you've got the East Coast Line with um, overhead electricity lines running along the East Coast Main Line and then you've got the A1 on the other side.
1: The proportion of state-educated students at Britain's most selective universities has fallen in the past 10 years, according to a new study from the Government's Social Mobility Commission. The report's author, the former Labour Minister, Alan Milburn, said it's so unacceptable that the leading Russell Group of universities is becoming less socially representative. The cooperative bank is understood to be close to announcing a deal with regulators to plug a hole in its balance sheet. Concerns about the bank's capital arose after it pulled out of a deal to buy several hundred branches from Lloyd's Banking Group and its debt was downgraded to junk status by ratings agency. In sport, Justin Rose is celebrating winning the US Open Golf at Merion in Pennsylvania. The 32-year-old finished two shots clear of Phil Mickelson and is the first English winner of the title since Tony Jacklin in 1970. The weather, sunshine and showers, with a top temperature of 18 degrees Celsius. That's 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties.
4: So you um, dumped... No, a I hunk because of tipping. You're exaggerating. I am, because it's show business. He, he
1: was, well, he wasn't a hunk. And he, he... was the love of your life? No, I'm married You're, to the love of my life.
4: Yeah, OK. But before that, the, you dumped, you my finished... My
1: first love, yes. Finished I finished with right the love off of off your life. No, I went right off him. What? It was one of the telltale signs that it was not meant to be, was he was mean about tipping.
4: What, what did he, why, why?
1: We used to say, what's the point in tipping? I don't tip anyone. You know, if they're doing their job, that's it. That's the not mean,
4: is, though. That's sensible.
1: No, they're on minimum wage. Cut them some slack. I was a waitress once. I think this is probably why I was annoyed by him. Well,
4: they should go and get another job.
1: Huh? Are you him? No, but I strongly... I think you might be him. I've never got over you dumping me! Quite right, too.
4: Yeah, that's it. I've had plastic surgery. I've been plotting my revenge for the last 15 years. I've tracked her down and I've outed her. (laughs) Lots coming up between now and 8 o'clock, including death rates in care and nursing homes, are to be monitored by the regulator, the Care Quality Commission. It's estimated that a third of care and nursing homes in England don't meet all the necessary standards. Well, do you worry about going into a care home? Work has begun on a controversial wind farm in the Bedfordshire village of Langford. Many locals don't want it, but do wind turbines? actually look that bad. I think they're rather beautiful. And you heard me arguing with uh, Catherine Boyle there about tipping. David Cameron has left a tip that's bigger than the cost of the meal while across the Atlantic a New York restaurant has banned tipping. Well, when did you last tip and what's the biggest tip you've ever received or given? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a tip A tip, you can send me a tip if you want. A text is probably more appropriate, though. 81333, start your text 3CR. Or give me a phone call. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio this morning, talking about care homes, Um, a third of care and nursing homes in England don't meet all the necessary standards. That's the estimate from the regulator, the Care Quality Commission, and it's the subject of tonight's Panorama programme. We're asking this morning, do you worry about going into a care home? Well, here's what Justin Dealey found out when he asked that very question.
5: Betty, how concerned are you about going into a care home?
6: Well, all you hear on the television is they're terribly, uh, they have terrible care, and I would rather take an overdose and go in one.
5: You'd seriously rather kill yourself yes, rather than go to a care home? If
6: I've got all my marbles then, of course if I haven't, if I've got Alzheimer's, I wouldn't know, would I? But it's very sad you've got that attitude though, isn't it? Well, it is, yes, you expect, but that's, uh, it just happens nowadays, that people don't care for old people.
5: Yes. Can you so tell us what your concerns would be? I think it's the staffing, the care, the caring. It doesn't seem to be very good. No, I'd rather take an overdose like that. I'll take it with her. <laughs> Ray, how worried and how concerned are you about going into a care
7: home one day? Well, I wouldn't want to go in one because uh, I all the bad publicity and, uh, you know, unless you've got a lot of money, you're not going to go into a good one. I've just spoken to two
5: ladies who said they would prefer to kill themselves ahead of going into a care home.
7: Would you go along with that? No, I think life's sweet. I wouldn't do that. No. And it
5: would concern you,
7: though? Oh, it certainly concerned me, yeah. I've got no no confidence at all in care homes or even, you know, all the cuts that this government's doing. You can't have, you know, if you pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys working there. And they're always the lowest paid workers, unfortunately, which are not going to attract the better sort of people that care.
4: Well, it was only in January that we heard complaints of abuse in care homes across the three counties had increased in the last year. The BBC obtained exclusive figures which revealed that the number of complaints had increased by 6% in Hertfordshire alone. Julia Johnson is Chief Executive of Age UK in Buckinghamshire.
8: There are undoubtedly some poor care homes, but there is good quality care as well. I think there are quite a few care homes, certainly some that I know of, that... Um, don't always have the necessary training in place, particularly with regard to dementia patients. And that is a problem. But um, the guy you spoke to a few minutes ago, your reporter spoke to, who who hit the nail on the head, I think, that he said, unless you've got a lot of money to go into a really Mm. good one. And I think that's the problem.
4: Well, someone who has had direct experience of care home neglect is Russ Simper from Milton Keynes. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Ian. Uh, Russ, your dad was Alan. Uh, Tell me what happened.
23: Well, basically, my dad was diagnosed with uh, uh, dementia and uh, Alzheimer's about 2008-2009. He went into a care home in uh, Bedfordshire. He was probably only in there a few weeks, and when he came out, the bed sores were so severe uh, that uh, you could see bone. Sorry, you could see bone through his bed sores? No, his bed saw was so severe and so deep, you could see bone, so they had to rush him into hospital, uh, where he was given maggot therapy, but uh, following that, died.
4: How old was your dad, Russ? Um, He was about 80. And before, um, apart from the Alzheimer's, uh, how was he?
23: Do you know what, a few weeks before that, he was he was kind of okay, he needed yep. a lot of help and attention, and my stepmother, Mary, absolutely doted on him and looked after him. He was blind as well, mm. so everything wasn't smooth, but he was kind of okay. Um, there was no reason why he should have ended up like that, apart from poor care.
4: How did you, I mean, we, we should say this com- uh, this uh, the care home, it was run by Southern Cross, which is a company that no longer uh, exists. Yep. Uh, how did you select the care home, Russ?
23: Uh, well, we kind of went on to websites. It was quite difficult getting all of the information we needed, but we went on to websites and tried to look up various things from the, um, um, I think you mentioned, the, the quality care uh, guys. But it wasn't transparent enough, and it certainly wasn't... Uh, uh, it's certainly something that needs significant regulation. Um, it's quite strange how in a state-run schools there's Ofsted, but in a commercial world there isn't really much that regulates it. And, of course, all of, a lot of these care homes are backed up by... Um, by quite large, you know, uh, commercial companies who, who are pumping money into Did it. Did you go and have a look
4: around the care home?
23: Yes, um, and you know, <laughs> there's, there's always you're always left with guilt as, uh, as uh, when you're attached to somebody that dies in a care home. After all, we selected the care home, so in effect, you know, effectively, you almost feel guilty about killing your own dad. Um, but you know what, what are you exposed, to? you know, I I'd no idea what I would expect to see if I went into a care home, I would know, have no idea whether one was good or bad. You, you'd kind of get an inkling or think something was right or wrong, but how would you know?
4: You, you're right, listen, my mum, I had to put, make the decision to put my mum into care home, and uh, the guilt is something that is, is with me now, three or four years later. And, and it is difficult to know, just by going and looking around, even if you're there for a couple of hours, because people can be, the, the staff can be nice, people can paint a good picture, it, it's difficult to see what's going on behind the scenes.
23: Exactly right. I mean, I can take the example I, I use for the, for the schools. You could go into an average number of schools... How would you know whether it was a good school or a bad school? And I use exactly the same analogy with care homes. And it's very odd how with state-led education we have such a a, a tight uh, um, system for for, uh, educating children. And yet for keeping people alive, we don't have that much.
4: When did you realise that maybe something wasn't quite right?
23: Um, by about the, we, we went in one day, on one particular day, um, we, we couldn't get the door open properly because uh, dad was on all fours and uh, he was wearing a nappy with excrement coming out from the side. Um, so we kind of realised there might be a problem at that stage. Uh, we did involve the, the, the authorities and, uh, and obviously alert the care homes and requested a doctor, which was, to be honest, subject to a kind of se- separate um, ju- judicial review. But, but to all intents and purposes, it was, it was you know, it was not, not long afterwards, but too late.
4: And how did that make you feel when you you have entrusted these people with your dad, one of the most precious people in your life, and you you turn up one day and he's in that state? How did you feel, Russ?
23: I guess as you just mentioned, Ian, there's there's kind of two or three things going on. First of all, guilt that I killed my dad. I should basically have just put him in the car and taken away. Maybe we'd have stood a chance. Um, Second of all, uh, angry that the trust put into a care home. Um, was was completely and utterly rejected and and didn't transform itself or materialize itself in any type of care that I would have um, thought was correct. And thirdly, looking at the commercial backing these people have, these are not, you know, these don't just suddenly spring about because somebody has a good idea. These are money-making firms. Um, um, Quite significant banks are putting in money to these commercial firms to make sure that they Um, take care of people and operate a business accordingly. And if they don't, then there needs to be a process of transparency, name and shame, and get the bad ones out quick.
4: And do you think that's part of the problem, that, that they are commercial businesses? They are there to make money.
23: I don't think there's a problem with the commercial business being around to take care of people that makes money as long as they're regulated um, to a point that, is, um, that, that kind of parallels the, uh, the business they're doing. And if, it's, if, if, the, if their business is taking care of people, then there's got to be um, significant uh, repercussions on, on the directors involved and the owners um, um, if, if things don't go correct.
4: Russ, your father, Alan, passed away in 2009, is that yeah. right? Yeah. So four years ago. Do you still feel that guilt have you managed to work through that
23: no no uh, probably about now probably it's about i guess once every two or three days once a week i just you know i catch myself in the mirror and it's still there i should have put him in the car and gone away
4: i'm really sorry to hear that russ and uh, i appreciate you coming on this morning and sharing your story with us no trouble Ian. thanks a lot thanks russ simper well what a story four years later he's still feeling the guilt and and my mum is in a care home and it's a it's a cracking care home it's a brilliant place there's a few issues but generally generally it's pretty darn good uh, and the guilt of putting her in there is uh you know she's she's kind of thriving in there for the most part It's still pretty strong but uh russ they're feeling the guilt that perhaps he is in some way of course he's not but perhaps he is in some way uh, the, the partially responsible for the death of his dad how sad is that well uh, what experience have you got of care homes Have you had to to, um, put, I don't want to say put, it's slightly patronising, but encourage your mum or your dad or your grandparents that they would be better off in a care home? Maybe you have had to make that decision because they are not well enough to make it themselves. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Do give us uh, your stories about care homes. Don't mention any names or anything like that. Let's let's not get into uh, any trouble like that. And are you concerned about the prospect of moving into a care home? Yourself, Does it worry you? A lot of them are brilliant. I don't want to create panic. You know, maybe you're making this decision for yourself or a loved one right now. I don't want to create panic. A lot of them are fantastic. And yes, they are businesses, um, but they're staffed by people who actually care. But are you concerned? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Just a reminder, that was Russ Simper from Milton Keynes, whose dad, Alan, died four weeks after moving to a care home in Bedfordshire in 2009. It was run by the healthcare company Southern Cross, which no longer exists. <laughs> Travel news
9: for beds, cards and bugs.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
9: Major problems on the M25 this morning. If you're going anti-clockwise, there are severe delays following an accident at Junction 14 for Heathrow Terminal 4 in the early hours. Congestion is back to Junction 18 at Chorley Wood, with delays of over two hours. The good news, though, all lanes have just reopened. It was just one lane open for quite a while. About five minutes ago, they've got all the lanes reopened, so hopefully traffic will be on the move at least. The M25 anti-clockwise, further back, it's slow from the M1 toward King's Langley, also from the M11 toward the A10 and through the roadworks. There are M1 delays on the southbound side, slow moving from Milton Keynes to Bedford, junction 14 to 13, from the A505 to Luton Airport, junction 11 to 10, then on the A1 into London through Boreham Wood as you come along the Barnet Bypass between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. Things on the trains and tubes running without problems so far today. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio.
4: Thank you, Adam. More from him in 15 minutes. Right now it's 7.16. It's Monday the 17th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The leaders of some of the world's most powerful countries are gathering for the G8 summit amid bitter international divisions about the civil war in Syria. Health Watch Dogs will investigate death rates in care homes for the elderly and vulnerable in light of a Panorama report due to be broadcast tonight. In sport, Justin Rose is celebrating becoming the first English golfer to win the US Open for 43 years. Coming up, we'll be talking about the safety of taxi drivers. A taxi driver was assaulted last week and left with bleeding to the brain. 08 459 455 555.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
14: Every weekday from twelve, Nick Coffer brings you
11: great guests. Julian Clary, welcome to BBC Three Counties Radio. Legendary Genesis guitarist Steve Hackett, Super Supertramp frontman Roger Hodgson, Carol Decker of Topal fame joins me now.
21: Great conversations. China in your hand is about the fragility of your dreams and that you should be careful what you wish for.
11: Something very addictive about making people laugh is standing on stage and every few seconds getting that hit of a, of a laugh.
14: Nick Coffer. Weekdays from twelve. On BBC, Three Counties Radio.
4: So, in a restaurant in New York, they're outlawing tipping. Meanwhile, in London, in Pizza Express Express, David Cameron leaves a fifty pound tip for a forty five pounds meal. Beth's in Luton. Morning, Beth. Hello. What's what's your take on tipping?
24: I I I I think tipping's wonderful. I now work for tips because I know that I'm not going to get another pay rise.
4: Oh, I see. So you're, you're a recipient of tips. What do you do for a living, Beth?
24: Uh, I'm a croupier in a London casino.
4: Oh, suddenly we've entered a different realm of tipping. I bet you get some <laughs> some tasty tips, don't you? Oh, we do. Yes, yes. Um, What's the biggest tip you've had?
24: The biggest single tip I've had so far is um, twelve and a half thousand pounds. Wheat,
4: home Alabama, twelve and a half
24: grand. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> It was lovely, but we have to share our tips amongst all of us.
4: So, so oh, oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. disappointing. So, how many was that split between? What, 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 did you take home from that twelve and a half grand?
24: Um, probably only about a hundred pound. Oh I mean. no! Well, our, our, once the once the company takes their their cut, um, and then we share it between about five hundred people.
4: Oh, hang on a second. So, so, the company takes a little bit of it as well. Oh yes oh yes and we pay tax on it oh suddenly it's all getting (laughs) a little bit not quite so good so if that guy gave you if that guy gave you just threw a couple of chips at you 1200 quid how much was he was he winning on the table
24: he was he was winning um six figures
4: gulp Gulp, that's hundreds of thousands of pounds
24: uh, We're talking
4: millions Blimey Beth, listen, lovely to talk to you Thank you very much indeed Well, there you go Can we beat that? A 1,200 quid tip Split between um, lots of people She only took £100 home And because it's a chip You've got to go and cash it in You've got to pay tax And the company takes some of it Here's a question for you You know when you do um, tips on the card machine I'm always suspicious Who gets that? who gets the money from the car machine does it go to like supposing i give it to a chain of rest i mean a chain restaurant does it go to the headquarters of that chain does it stay within that restaurant or does it go specifically to that waiter or waitress yeah i know i'm kind of if i'm going to give a tip i prefer the cash thing but it's easier you know when they when they give you the machine just follow the instructions on screen oh the gratuity question oh i see then they have a little look oh okay so, if I give a tip on a, on a card machine, who gets that tip? The headquarters, that branch, or the waiter? 08459 four double five five double five. Now, we're talking about the safety of taxi drivers. Last week in Luton, a 45-year-old taxi driver was left with bleeding on the brain after a violent assault by three young men, which took place at half-past three in the afternoon. Police are investigating the assault, but how dangerous is it for taxi drivers? Are these types of attacks isolated, or are they becoming more and more common? Well, Steve McNamara is General Secretary of the Licensed Taxi
13: Drivers Association.
4: Steve, are we hearing, or are these, these attacks becoming more common?
13: I wouldn't say they're necessarily becoming more common. Um, I think, like a lot of things in society, they're becoming more violent. Um, unfortunately, driving a taxi involves picking up people you don't know, off them from places you don't know um taking them to places that you don't know where they want to go at the hours and you know at, at their behest and obviously um that, that puts you in a very very vulnerable position unfortunately it's the nature of the job and uh, there's not an awful lot you can do about it
4: are there any particular areas areas steve that people uh, 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 target or can it happen anywhere
13: no it can happen absolutely anywhere in the country fortunately um it's nowhere near as prevalent as people, you know, as you might suspect. But um, as, as I said, when these things do happen, um, uh, you know, like, like the one in Lugan last year, they are pretty awful. Um, and there's not a lot you can do. I mean, what we advise um, people to do is, certainly uh, it's not to be very popular with your listeners, is uh, if you're in any doubt whatsoever, just don't take people. That's your only safety, safety option. You know, if you've got that little dinging bell in the back of your head that this isn't quite right, then it's probably not, and don't do it
4: do, 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 do ta- taxi drivers have that discretion do they to make that decision
13: well it depends on the licensing authority it varies from authority to authority um as you know what uh, what the rules are invariably most of the rules say that uh, you know you've got to take someone if it's reasonable they're the sort of unless you've got a reasonable excuse you know like a lot of things in this law the word reasonable is used and of course our argument has always been uh, what's reasonable is keeping yourself safe that's the most important bit And if you're in doubt, it's much better to have an argument with a licensing authority a few weeks later than find yourself in the situation the poor guy in Luton was in.
4: The thing about this story in Luton that struck me, and I had to read it a couple of times to make sure I got it right, it happened at half past three in the afternoon.
13: Uh, Yeah, as I said to you, because you're going where people... I mean, even in this day and age, there's lots of quiet places at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, lots of dark, quiet places, you know, car parks, side streets, where you wouldn't want to be, in areas that you wouldn't want to be. And, um, you know, it's it's like anything. Anything can happen any time. Obviously, you're more vulnerable in the early hours of the morning, especially when people have been drinking. You know, it's common sense. But, uh, as I said, it can happen absolutely anywhere. And uh, our only advice to drivers is, uh, if in doubt, don't do it.
4: I remember speaking to a driver on this show uh, a couple of months ago who'd been attacked and uh, he said going back to work was the hardest thing ever. Even now, I think it was a couple of years later, even now, he still is very uncomfortable driving a cab.
13: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like falling off a bike, you've got to get back on it. Um, there are there are steps you can take to protect yourself um, A lot of licensing authorities nowadays are beginning to insist on purpose built vehicles or vehicles with a screen you know like a sort of black cab with a with a purpose built screen that gives you a great bit of protection um also there's many companies on the market now that supply screens for uh, you know uh, normal cars that fit around the driver and give you protection um you know, unfortunately, it, it, especially in a saloon car, it creates a bad environment from the moment you get in, do not it? You know, you, you're perfectly law-abiding and honest. You get in a cab in the middle of the afternoon somewhere, and the guy's sitting behind a security screen. It doesn't make you feel a bit uncomfortable. But, what's um, What's
4: your experience, Steve? Have you, you ever had uh, any trouble?
13: No, I drive a cab for uh, 25 years, mainly at night, mainly in London. I uh, went to every dodgy part of London that you can imagine at all hours of the of the day and night, and I can count you know, dubious experiences on one hand, I'm pleased to say. Mm. Um, and, and, and the main reason being because um, it, I didn't take anybody or I didn't feel comfortable with. And um, it, a lot of it is it, it, you, you do pick up a sixth sense in the end. Um, you know, you pick people up, you can pick, a, you know, a, a very smart sort of business type person up in the middle of the afternoon and, and you get all these bells ringing in your head. And other times you'll pick up, a, a you know, a gang of, or for want of a better word, hoodies, in the early hours of the morning, and um, and, and you feel perfectly fine. And, and most of the time, your, your, your intuition and your senses were well right. And um, always say, if you, you know, if you've got any doubts, then follow them.
4: Stephen, I'm going to ask you a question that is often a slight tangent, and this is in no way to demean the very serious uh, discussion we've had here, but uh, is this a taxi driver myth, OK? Have you ever had uh, a young lady in the car who said, oh, I'm terribly sorry, mate, I haven't got any money? but maybe I could pay you in another way.
13: Well, you very quickly swapped that subject round, didn't you, Ian? I know,
4: I know, and I'm sorry to go off on a tangent. <laughs> I, just, I, I just, funny enough, I was talking to a friend about this at the weekend, and I, I suspect it's one of those urban myths.
13: Um, it's not an urban myth. It, it doesn't happen anywhere as often as, as the carry-on films and, and those sort of films, would have you believe, but um, those sort of situations do arise, um, and that's something, especially in this day and age, that uh, once again we advise drivers to uh, to be extremely careful with. Um, it's um, it, it's uh, in, in this culture of um, criminal compensation, criminal um, you know uh, complaints, um, is something that we, would, we we always advise drivers to steer very, very clear of.
4: Very sensible we advice. All, Steve, I appreciate your time this morning and the sensible advice there as well. If you're suspicious or those alarm bells start ringing in your ear, don't pick up the passenger. That's uh, Steve McNamara, the General Secretary of the Licensed Taxi Drivers Association.
10: Across beds, hearts and bucks.
4: This is Ian Lee.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
4: Shall we have a look... At the front pages, they're all over the place this morning. Let's let's have a little look and see what we've got here. The Independent, blood on your hands. Putin's attack on PM ahead of Syria talks. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, rounded on Britain last night, accusing David Cameron of betraying humanitarian values by supporting Syrian rebels with blood on their hands. This is the Putin who is selling weapons to um, President Assad of Syria. Yeah, that's the same guy that's selling weapons to that dude that's using chemical weapons on his own people. And he's accusing Cameron of having blood on his hands. I know both sides, uh, it could be claimed, are using chemical weapons. But in harsh and undiplomatic language, Mr Putin accused the UK and other Western powers of attempting to arm rebels who kill their enemies and eat their organs. <clears> this. <throat> uh, the Daily Telegraph. The Daily Telegraph. Uh, one of the papers to pick up with the picture uh, of what appears to be uh, Nigella Lawson um, with uh, her husband uh, holding his hand around her throat. Uh, Don't arm the Syria maniac, says Boris. Um, oh, here we go. Weekend hospital crisis costing four thousand lives a year. Poor care in hospitals at weekends is claiming more than four thousand lives a year. Claim the NHS. Oh, and family albums fade as the young put only themselves in picture. Traditional photo albums are dying out as young people take more pictures of themselves than of friends and family. Selfies. They're called selfies. You want to know the king of selfies, Justin Dealey? His phone, his phone is full of pictures of himself like pouting away. Ridiculous. The times. Um, A man has won a golf match. Well done. Patients get new rights under NHS care charter um and syrians seek asylum after threat to set plane on fire Oh, was that the plane where they uh, they had a note in yes there's a note imagine you go you go into the toilet of a plane yeah I'm, there's a note i'm going to set this plane on fire okay now if i give this to the stewardess it's going to take hours or i could ignore it and hope it's a bit of fun i'll give it to the stewardess uh and final one for the uh for the moment um, the Guardian revealed how UK spied on its G20 allies at London summits. Uh, there's uh, Edward Snowden banging on about this stuff again. Politicians' calls and emails intercepted by UK intelligence. Delegates tricked into using fake internet cafes. And revelations come as UK prepares to host G8 leaders. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news for beds, cards
14: and bugs.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
9: Still severe delays on the M25 anti clockwise after an accident earlier in the early hours of this morning past Heathrow Terminal 4 at Junction 14. The congestion back to Junction 18 at Chorley Wood. Delays of just over two hours, although all lanes of the motorway have now reopened. It's busy anti clockwise as well from the M1 to the A41 and coming into the roadwork section from the M11 to the A10. Southbound M1 this morning, busy from Milton Keynes toward Junction 13 at Bedford, then slow again from Flitwick to the Luton Airport Spur, Junction 12 to 10. The A1 starting to queue from St Neots down to the Black cat roundabout. Coming into London, the A1 is looking very slow as well, with queues down toward Mill Hill Circus. And speed sensors are picking up delays in Beaconsfield along Park Lane. The A355 is looking slow, coming down toward the A40. Trains and tubes, though, still looking good. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio.
4: <laughs> Thank you, Adam.
9: I've just been sent a
4: very naughty tweet that I can't even begin to allude to, so I won't. Here's the news and support with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs.
10: This is BBC Three
1: Counties Radio. 7:30. The headlines. The leaders of some of the world's most powerful countries are gathering for the G8 summit amid bitter international divisions about the civil war in Syria. Health watchdogs will investigate death rates in care homes for the elderly and vulnerable in light of a panorama report due to be broadcast tonight. And despite a petition of more than a thousand names, work has begun on a 10-turbine wind farm near Langford in Bedfordshire.
25: 3
14: County Sports.
1: BBC 3 Counties Radio. For the first time since 1970, England has a U.S. Open golf champion. Justin Rose finished two shots clear of the field to win the trophy at Marion and emulates Tony Jacklin's success at Hazeltine.
15: Winning makes you hungry to do it again because it just feels so darn good. You know, the moment of elation. You know, as a professional golfer, you lose, well, most of us lose 90% of the time. And uh, you don't want to get too good at losing, but you got a uh, winning just it makes you realize and it reminds you about why you practice hard and why you play the game
1: England's cricketers, meanwhile, beat New Zealand by 10 runs in Cardiff to reach the semi-finals of the Champions Trophy. However, they now have an injury concern over spinner Graham Swan, who missed the match. Here's the England captain, Alistair Cook.
16: Look, it's a calf injury. He doesn't seem to be walking too bad, but, yeah, it's it's a concern in one way, but we're also very lucky in the fact that we've got someone like James Treadwell, who's an outstanding cricketer, and uh, to have someone like him as a replacement, um, it's not probably fair to call him a replacement. So, you know, it's obviously a concern for Swanee, but you know if he doesn't make it trailers does a fantastic job
1: Tennis and Andy Murray's had the perfect preparation for Wimbledon. He claimed a third title at London's Queen's Club with victory over Marin Cilic in three sets, 5-7, five, 7, seven five, six, three.
23: Backhand
4: slice from Murray, forehand from Cilic, into the net.
1: Murray wins the title here at Queen's for the
5: third time and his Wimbledon warm-up has the perfect
26: kickstart here in West London.
1: Finally, football in Watford and MK Dons are among the seeded teams in the southern section for today's draw in the first round of the Capital One Cup. Stevenage and Wickham are unseeded and that's the latest news and sports.
4: Oh yeah, you don't want to get too good at losing because I, you know, the winning is addictive. And once you've won, you want to. You won. Just, just, just say I won. I'm really pleased. That's a, you know, you most ninety percent of the time you lose. If you're losing ninety percent of the time, you can't be very good.
1: So, what do you expect him to say in his victory interview? Yeah, nice. He should go. Whoa! I won
4: the golf. I've done it since Michael Jackson in 1970.
1: And then he moves along to the next interview, and they say, "How do you feel?" And he goes. Whoa!
4: Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, 90% of the time you're losing in golf, and once you win, it's very addictive. It's like getting a laugh every few seconds, which I have to say Julian Clary has never had. I'm going off on a tangent now. (laughs) I'll hit this. Oh, dear. Text 813... Oh, dear.
10: Start your message with 3CR.
14: Text will be charged at the standard network rate.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
4: Coming up in the next 30 minutes of this show on BBC Three Counties Radio, wind farms, taxi attacks. And are you anxious at the prospect of possibly going into a care home at some point in your life? A third of them don't meet the required standards. I'd love to hear your stories on that. If you've, you've uh, got someone in a care home, if you've been in a care home, what did you think? Were you happy with the way they were looked after? 08459 455 555. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR or you can send me a text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Also, those are the ways to get in touch if you want to talk about tipping as well. Now, work has begun on a controversial wind farm in, Bedfordshire, in the Bedfordshire village of Langford. Ten turbines are being erected by the cooperative group after they receive planning permission for the development, despite a petition with over 1,000 signatures against it. The turbines are expected to generate enough electricity to power nearly 11,500 homes in the area. Development Manager for Renewable Energy at the Co-op Group, Rob Ellis, says it's the best place for them.
2: The project will generate about 12,000 homes. In terms of the construction programme, all foundations have been completed and the intention is for first turbine erection in August with a view then to all turbines being up by the project that there's been close community consultation um, with the community and there is a community liaison forum in existence which comprises representatives from the cooperative group, representatives from Langford Parish Council, from Dignesway Town Council and also Central Bedfordshire Council. And that has met about half a dozen times to date. So the close community um, liaison between the development and the community. There are a number of interesting initiatives where making contribution towards the local education program and also um, putting money in trust for the community and um, we have in fact a number of um, schools who will be visiting the construction site. We're never going to keep everybody happy. Um, it, it is you know, a very well chosen site and the fact you've got the East Coast Main Line with um, overhead electricity lines running along the East Coast main line, and then you've got the A1 on the other side. I entirely understand that everyone doesn't like um, wind turbines, but some people do, so it, it's, um, it's not going to be to everyone's taste. But I, I think it's a good site. In terms of proximity to ha- housing, we went through a comprehensive planning inquiry, and it was considered fully, and it was felt that it is a suitable location and hence planning permission was granted.
4: Well, our reporter Justin Deely has been in Langford this morning speaking to Tony Spencer, the chairman of the Langford Parish Council.
5: Well, Tony, we're standing on East Road here in Langford. We can see work taking place around 800 metres away to our left-hand side through the green fields, and you're saying that property prices already are being affected here in the village?
27: From what we gather from the estate agent that's stationed in the village... Um, Property prices have either um, remained stagnant or have decreased. People are being put off by the turbines being in their locality. I mean, you've got
5: around 1,300 signatures on your petition, Mm -hmm. but of course, uh, work has started. It's due to be
27: completed by August. Just tell us why you're so against these wind turbines here. Well, we're still against them uh, as our original opposition to them for the locality, the noise impact, the environmental impact. And there's no benefit to the community as a whole. So you don't think they'll look nice? No, I don't. They're a concrete steel and concrete tube. Mm. Apart from the fact that um, each turbine is going to have 40, 50 lorry loads of concrete poured into the ground, I mean, which Ian, will be there forever. Ian back in the studio thinks they would look nice. You would totally disagree well, on that then. I don't expect Ian's got them on his back doorstep. Mm. The, the most vocal opposition came from somebody who lived at Leighton Buzzard and how many turbines are in Leighton Buzzard. Mm. You talk about noise, but we are standing right next to a railway
5: track, which is very close to people's homes. Mm -hmm. Surely that would be a lot noisier than a wind turbine
27: 800 metres away. Well, the noise from the train is only seconds. Um, While this interview's been going on, we haven't had a train go through at all. Mm. That is true, but they will be coming through. They will be coming through.
5: You've actually been to a site Mm -hmm. where they have got wind turbines. Just um, how loud are they,
27: in your experience? Well, there's a continuous noise, um, which I presume can be irritating to the people that hear it, that there's this continual whoosh, whoosh, whoosh all the time, seven days a week, 24 hours a day.
5: Our listeners can probably hear a plane going over as well. Surely that plane is going to be louder than a wind turbine. Um, at the moment, yes, but as I'm speaking, the plane's gone. Mm. You're concerned about this work. You think uh, the village would be uh, not a great place to be come August. What would you say to any of our listeners who are screaming at the radio right
27: now, here we go, NIMBY's out to play again. What would you say to them? <laughs> no, the village is a great place to live in, with or without the turbines, but we don't want the turbines on our back doorstep. If they were a mile away, well and good, but they're only... 700 metres away.
4: So it is is literally uh, NIMBYism. That was uh, Tony talking to our reporter, Justin Dealey. I genuinely think... This isn't me saying this to be controversial or to kick up a stink. I genuinely think wind turbines look stunning. I think they're beautiful. Remember windmills? We've had wind power for centuries. Remember windmills? This is just the 21st century equivalent windmills now i need to go and stand near some wind turbines because i have heard from various experts they're not very noisy and it's not noticeable i live under a flight path of an airplane that's noisy and i can get used to that flights going across every three and a half minutes i'm used to that and i would rather have some wind turbines in the field next door than a load of um um power pylons electricity pylons Now, you may have uh, heard uh, in that report there Justin Dealey speaking about the train track, which is 800 metres away from people's... uh, Sorry, 10 metres away from people's homes. A train didn't go past during that interview. One did just after it. This is what it sounded like. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wind turbine isn't going to be as noisy as that. I can pretty much guarantee it. Do you have a problem with wind turbines? If you've got a wind turbine... uh, Farm, do we call them farms? What do we call the herd of wind turbines? A wind farm is what. That's it, right? I knew there was a a phrase that I'd heard, and it dropped out of my mind. If you have a wind farm near you. Well, you worried about them, and, and, and actually, that you thought, well, they're not really that bad now, they're here, I don't really notice them. Am I the only person, here we go, am I the only person that thinks wind turbines are actually quite beautiful, and uh, I wouldn't be that fussed if they built one near me? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Call
10: 08459 455 555.
4: BBC Three Counties Radio. Stephen, you want to talk about tipping before that? What do you think about wind turbines? Are they beautiful?
26: They are indeed, Ian. I agree with you.
4: I think they look stunning. And and I'm not saying this to be an idiot. If they were put in the field next door to me, I wouldn't mind. I could think of worse things that could be built there.
26: Yes, I agree with you. And if it's doing its bit to save this... Lovely planet of ours, and yes, I say, build more of them.
4: Stephen Tipping, David Cameron left fifty quid tip for a forty-five pounds meal. Uh, tipping fills me with anxiety and fear. It ruined my honeymoon. What's your take on it?
26: Oh, I, I tip all the time. I, when I went out for a meal uh, on Saturday night. I tip the waiter, but I don't. I don't like trade it onto the bill. I like to give the the waiter whoever's serving me cash in their hand. So hopefully, it goes to them. And not to the company. What percentage did you give? I don't know. I don't work on percentage. I just give what I feel like at the time.
4: Oh, listen, you're you're, you're a free man. You're living the dream, Stephen.
26: Indeed.
4: Who, so okay, so let's work out who who you do tip. You you tip waiters in restaurants. Yes, indeed. Do you in some bars? It's expected to tip the barman. Would you ever do that? No. Um, the bin men at Christmas. Yes. Really.
26: Yes. Why they just a, they're just doing their dirty job. No, well, nobody, everybody does their job. So you know, it's just a, a thank you because sometimes they um they do a good job, not as good as the old bin men. I must admit.
4: Yeah, the old the old see the old bin men when when they had to pick up the bins on their back and hoik them over the edge. I could understand why you tip that. Now, no disrespect yeah. to bin men. It's an unpleasant job. I could not do it, but all they're doing is wheeling a wheelie bin down a pathway, hooking it on the back of a truck, and then sometimes, if they feel like it, wheeling the wheelie bin back. That doesn't warrant a few quid at Christmas.
26: Oh, I don't know. It's just a habit, I suppose, I've got into...
4: Well, you're, you're a good man, Stephen, and I appreciate your, your call this morning. 08459 555. Who do we tip and who don't we tip? And no disrespect to bin men in the slightest. I know we have a lot of bin men listening to us this morning. I don't know that. Those figures, those uh, statistics, don't show up in the radar figures, I'm afraid. We, we don't know the exact breakdown. I suspect there are one or two who've managed to wrestle control of the radio in their wagon, detune it from heart, and tune it to BBC Three Counties Radio. But... It's not, and of course it's a horrible job, it's a stinky, dirty job, I couldn't do it. It's not the most skilled job, is it? It's not like 20 years ago where you would get some blokes with donkey jackets who would pick a bin up, put it on their back, carry it, tip it into the thing and then bring it back. Those guys deserved a tip. The bin men of 1978 deserved a tip. Now you're wheeling a wheelie bin down a path it might be a little bit heavy if it's a bit heavy, you take some of it out if, it, if the lid's not shut properly you don't have to take it as I found out Oh, the, why didn't you take our rubbish yeah the lid's not shut properly S- uh, sorry the recycling men why didn't you take my recycling you've contaminated it um, with that wood oh wood one of the most recyclable things in the world that's contamination is it i don't think those guys deserve tips who who do we tip i never understand this thing about tipping the gentleman that takes your bags to your room in a hotel do we do that in this country you're supposed to do it in the states and i refuse i always no. i'll take my own bags sir please allow me i'll take my own sir i'd like to take your bags to your i'll take my own bags thank you do we tip them in this country i'm not sure so i take them anyway Take my own bags anyway. I, I just don't know, quite know how to do it. 08459 455 555. Tipping, do you do it? Wouldn't it be great if we just, like Japan, well, I want to go and live there. If, like in Japan, we had a blanket ban on giving the man something in his hand. Sort of a poem. I'm a poet and I didn't realise. 08459 455 555. <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs.
10: BBC 3 Counties Radio.
9: Still severe delays on the M25. Anti-clockwise, there was an accident around 2am this morning past junction 14 at Heathrow Terminal 4. The accident has been cleared. All lanes opened about 10 past 7. But the delays still there, about two hours worth of traffic, with congestion back as far as the M1 at junction 21. So from junction 21 to 14, very, very slow this morning. The Londonbound M40 is looking busy from Beaconsfield down to the M25 and there are queues along Park Lane in Beaconsfield coming toward the A40. Southbound A41 through Watford down toward the M25 at Junction 20 you've got queues. The A1 at St Neots is looking slow toward the Black Cat Roundabout and patches of slow moving traffic on the M1 this morning southbound from Junction 15 at Northampton to the Newport Pagnell Services and from Junction 12 at Flittig to 10 at Luton Airport Spur. Everything on the train departure board's looking pretty good. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam.
4: Right, 7.46 exactly, Monday the 17th of June. I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The leaders of some of the world's most powerful countries are gathering for the G8 summit amid bitter international divisions about the civil war in Syria. Health watchdogs will investigate death rates in care homes for the elderly and vulnerable in light of a Panorama report due to be broadcast tonight. In sport, an Englishman has won the US Open for the first time since 1970. Justin Rose finished his first major tournament two shots clear of the field. Coming up, care homes. Quality Care Commission report has suggested that maybe a third of the care homes aren't meeting the standards we'd expect. Do you worry about going into a care home? 08459 four double five five double five. And if, if you had to uh, put someone in a care home, it's a bit of a clunky phrase, but it's the best one I can come up with. How difficult was it? Beds, Hearts
3: and Bucks weather.
4: BBC Three
14: Counties Radio. But
4: first, here's the weather with Kate Kinsella.
3: Kate? Good morning. Well, it's a rather cloudy start to the new working week. We've already seen a bit of rain around as well, and that's going to come and go through the course of the morning. Potentially quite warm, though. We're looking at a maximum temperature later on this afternoon of 18 Celsius. That's around 64 degrees in Fahrenheit. There's a northeasterly breeze, and overnight we're hanging on to the cloud, but it's going to still feel quite muggy, most of us dipping down to a minimum of 11 Celsius. So all in double figures, 52 degrees in Fahrenheit. A brighter day tomorrow. Still some cloud around the risk of one or two showers, but potentially slowly starting to get warmer with a maximum tomorrow of 22 Celsius. That's 72 degrees in Fahrenheit. That's your forecast. Thank you very much, Kate.
10: Weeknights from 7, Mark Forrest.
11: Good evening, Joe. Good evening. Let's talk to Lynn. What's your story? Is there life after the armed forces? They've got fantastic skill set. City Street is great. Fruit, veg, you're telling me the best thing about your
28: local market. It's inexpensive, but quality products that's grown locally. How
11: has adoption affected your family?
22: He always says to me, she is my birth mother,
28: but
11: you're my mum.
10: Mark Forrest, weeknights from seven on BBC Three Counties
4: Radio. So we've been talking about wind farms and uh, wind turbines. Um, Andy has texted in double three. No, hang on, that's not it at all. 81333. That's it. <laughs> there, there are three threes at the end of it. 8-1, then three threes. Put 3CR three in it and it'll come to us. Uh, wind turbines are good, says Andy. And the turbines are well away from Langford Village. They're clean. What do people of the village want? More nuclear stations polluting the earth. It's time that people wake up and realise that time is running out. Uh, and Andrew in Standard says, I think wind turbines are elegant. They produce free energy. I'd love to have them in the field opposite my house. Besides which, it will be better than having affordable housing squashed in and having flats put up. And I'm saying this not to be detrimental to the uh, uh, people of Langford Village. Not to be controversial. I'm not doing that shock jockery. I think wind turbines are lovely. I think they're nice. I think they look beautiful love it when you drive through the countryside or you drive along um uh, is it along the m40 a little bit further down the m40 there's this wind turbine i think they look stunning i would and i'm saying this now you wait in six months time when they say they're going to build wind turbines near me and i get a petition you, i could be saying a different story i don't think i'd mind there's, there's a field uh, just behind us if they built wind turbines in there i don't think i'd mind i really don't Oh, 08459 five, 455 555. Five. Now with the uh, CQC saying that uh, a, a third of care homes don't quite match the standards that we'd like. We're asking this morning, do you worry about possibly going into a care home? And if you've had to um, move a loved one into a care home, how difficult was it? Oh, 08459 five, 455 555. Matt's in Luton. Morning, Matt. Morning, man. Matt, I believe that your wife had to go into a care home.
29: Yeah, she's been in the care home now for
4: over a year. Can I ask how old she is, Matt? Uh, 73. And and why did she have to go in the care home?
29: Uh, the dementia, she got worse. I looked after her for about six or seven years. Uh, and, and I had to, had to tuck her in because she fell a few times and they wouldn't take the chance. So she had to go into the care home. But it was finding a nice care home and I did find a nice care home. Uh, oh. But now she's had a couple of infections she's in the hospital at the moment actually
4: i'm sorry to hear that
29: and we had a big meeting yesterday you know what it's like because you've been through all this yep uh, with my daughter's there because my daughter come over from Ireland weekend just for, to make sure to see her she i've got to come over dad i said fair enough you come over and we had a meeting last night when i was taking her home the girls julie helen and claire and of course paul uh, now an instant laugh we got, he come down last week to see her he lives in London and he was in a very bad mood a very somber mood and we got it out of him he said dad I I just couldn't stand to see her in the bed she was really bad mm. she had a bad chest infection so last night we, we made a pact last night that we would when she goes back to the home which could be tomorrow or the day after we would keep a definite check on the home if we see anything we'd pick it up. And that's what you've got to do. It doesn't matter who you who you offend, you've got to say it how you see it.
4: Do you know what, you're, you're absolutely right, and you do have to do that. And um, uh, as I said, my mum is in a care home, and yes. at times I felt a little bit uncomfortable uh, about keeping such a watchful eye on her, but she's my mum, and I don't... Do you know what? Now, I don't care if I offend people who work at the care home, because she's my mum, She's your man. and I'm going to do the best... And there have been a couple of incidents in the past where, I, yeah. uh, looking back, I, I probably should have stepped in and done a bit more. Yeah, That ain't going to happen but, again on my watch, Matt.
29: But Claire said to me last night, we were going home, I was taking her to Luton Airport. She said, Dad, do you think I could fit one of those clocks in? they got this clock now with a CC camera on it. Oh, yeah. I said, Claire... We haven't got to that yet. Yeah, I Just th- let's let's be very cautious, and we've got to respect the carers. She's got some lovely girls in there. Yeah, there's a new new matron taking over this week now. She's the same. She's an assistant. She's been stepped up. She's very good, and we're hoping that. But I will now, when I go in to see him tomorrow or the day after, I will stress more of my feelings. Do. i will make them aware that i am being aware
4: matt listen when you go in speak your mind don't be rude don't need to be aggressive but go and speak your mind tell them what your concerns are and say look i want to be a bit more hands-on actually i, I, I want to come in uh, when i want i want to check things and i want to make sure that my wife is all right well done you uh, matt and uh, best of luck to you and your missus 08459 four double five five double five. phillips in milton Keynes. Philip, your mum's in a care home is she it's my mother-in-law your yes. mother-in-law sorry how old is yeah. she she's 89 last thursday oh happy birthday for last thursday um, um, <laughs> why did she ha- why did she have to move into a care home
28: well unfortunately she started getting dementia she had a serious road accident where she got knocked down and that brought on the dementia so she's been in the care home for four years
4: how difficult was it for you and uh your family to to make that decision
28: very. I mean, we, we found my mother-in-law over the shops at night at eight o'clock at the morning, uh, in the evening, waiting for the news agents to open because she lost all track of time, day and night. Um, so that was a start. And then we started finding things at home. She was living downstairs, so we got her assessed. And we had a look round. We looked at four, actually, and before we picked the one that we liked. Right. Uh, and uh, the one that we liked, where she is now, they're absolutely fantastic.
4: What was I so different th- about this one that, that, that made it stick out from the others?
28: I know it sounds crazy, but it smelt good. As soon as you went in the door, you got the smell of the cooking. The staff at the reception were helpful. They said, you sign in, your mother-in-law's in in room 79, go and see her. I could walk wherever I liked, and nothing mattered. Everyone seemed happy. They was alive. They weren't just sitting there with their heads buried between their legs, you know what I mean? Everyone was think- there was things going on there was music going, it just felt so good and I've made a great mistake sometimes you know, I've been in there with my mother-in-law's been laying in bed 10 o'clock in the morning with the curtains drawn on a lovely day and I've gone in there and said why isn't she up? Mm. What's going on? So I've drawn the curtains and I've gone back and it's, it, again it's my fault because I don't realise the dementia and I said to the nurse, I said why is my mother-in-law in bed at 10 o'clock in the She said, well, she's been up all night walking about. Right. And I felt so bad. She said, well, don't, you know. People don't understand a lot to do with dementia and, you know, illnesses with older people. And they think that we're not doing anything about it. But I've learned so much. Since my mother-in-law's been in there. Philip, when
4: when she moved, it sounds like she's in a cracking place, and the comment about cooking is is spot on. If it smells, some of them, they stink. They stink of either excrement or they stink of Dettol, you know. And to go into one where there's the smell of cooking, fantastic. Did you, did all of your family agree with her moving into a home? Yes.
28: We're a close family anyway, and we discussed it. And that was the only thing we couldn't look after because we all work. Yeah. And her needs were that she would just disappear during the day, mm. and unfortunately, we knew that something was going to happen one day. Um, unfortunately, she had a bad accident, which wasn't her fault, which landed her in hospital for sixteen weeks. Oh dear! Um, and when she came out, you know, as to say the dementia set in, but she's lovely. The, the sad part about dementia and other people, as I say, is they're quite happy. Yeah, the family outside that they don't know what you know, they like don't
4: know that. what's going on for the best part no. of it, do they? No, that's right. No. Philip, I appreciate your call. I'm glad that your mum-in-law's in a uh, in a decent place. The reason I asked the question about the family is I fell out with half my family when me and my sister um, put mum into a home. My aunts don't talk to me anymore because because we put mum into a home. I don't know what they expected. Whether they expected I looked at every option possible. Uh, we had we moved her downstairs. I was going to get a lift in a house. I was going to get her downstairs converted into a bathroom. Uh, I, I kind of looked at her possibly moving in with me or moving in with her. It wasn't practical. So uh, she went into a care home, and it broke my heart. And now my aunts don't talk to me. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your support. That's great to know. That's great to know. You're on side. Right. Quick look at the last three uh, front pages of the newspapers. The Daily Express: Tropical heat wave to hit UK this week. Ah, huh? sorry. Uh, temperatures will reach a sweltering 90 degrees Britain is set to bake this week as temperatures soar at last hitting a peak of 90 degrees but most areas face a sticky and humid spell rather than a glorious burst of summer sunshine I'll believe it when I see it I think this morning I think this morning was summer I suspect it's gone now Uh, the mail has a picture of uh, Nigella Lawson with uh, her husband's hand around her throat porn PM's fear for his children David Cameron yesterday admitted he fears online porn could harm his children The Prime Minister says he's wor- he worries when any of his three children grab hold of the iPad because they risk seeing obscene images Well they don't the the risk of seeing obscene Im- images is not quite as You want to see an obscene image go to the front page of the Sun where um, what's her name the uh, what's what's that Kelly, is that Kelly Brooks Kelly Brook Kelly Brook is um, falling out of a tiny bikini. So you don't need to go to the internet to see it. It's on the front page of The Sun. Uh, Cold War. Obama books G8 gym, so Putin must swim in icy lake. Barack Obama won a Cold War victory ahead of the G8 summit after bagging a gym. It's nice to know that uh, The Sun is taking the G8 summit seriously. Page three of The Sun. Oh, uh, Rossi spends £2 million on status blow. Status quo rocker Francis Rossi has revealed he spent the equivalent of £1.7 million of money on cocaine. Is that all?
14: Travel news for beds, cards, and
9: bugs.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
9: Still big problems on the M25. Anti-clockwise severe delays after an accident earlier at Heathrow Terminal 4, Junction 14. Congestion back to the M1 at Junction 21. All lanes are open, but it's still taking about two hours to get through the traffic, if you're going the whole way through that stretch. And slow clockwise now as well, from Junction 22 at London Coney to 23 at the A1M, heading into the roadwork section. Problems on the M1, we've got a fair bit of queuing traffic this morning from Northampton at Junction 15 down to the Newport Pagnell services and it's also really slow from Flittick to the Luton Airport Spur. Now we've had a couple of calls, apparently two accidents on the southbound M1. The first one is from Junction 12 to 11, apparently three cars in the outside lane. Another between Junction 11 and 10, closer to the airport turn, two cars again in the outside lane. Thanks to Andy who was one of the people who called us in on that one. It's busy as well on the M40 London bound as you come down from Beaconsfield toward the M25. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. In the next hour, how do you feel about going into a
4: care home and how difficult was it for you to put your loved one in there? Here's the news. On
14: FM, AM, online and digital radio.
10: This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
1: 8 o'clock, I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines G8 begins with division over Syria Care watchdogs investigate panorama findings and work begins on Bedfordshire Wind Farm.
14: BBC Three Counties Radio. The
1: leaders of some of the world's most powerful countries are gathering in Northern Ireland for the opening of the G8 summit amid bitter international divisions about the civil war in Syria Our North America editor Mark Mardell is travelling with President Obama
25: Before the G8 itself, the President will make a speech on the success of the Northern Ireland peace process, but it's likely it'll be another bitter conflict that will be at the forefront of his mind. He hasn't yet made any public comment on his administration's new sense of urgency about Syria. Although he's ordered an increase in the scope and scale of military support to the rebels, it's also clear he's very cautious about entangling the US in another Middle East conflict. He'll meet David Cameron before the formal summit to talk about what sort of help to send the opposition. So far, the administration's refused to spell out what military aid actually means.
1: Health watchdogs are set to investigate death rates in care homes for elderly and vulnerable people in light of a BBC report due to be screened tonight. The Care Quality Commission has told Panorama that it will look at the figures as part of a pilot scheme to root out failures in basic care. Ten wind turbines are being erected on land near Langford in Bedfordshire. They're being built by the co-op group, despite a petition of more than a 1,000 signatures being drawn up against them. The firm's spokesman is Rob Ellis.
2: I entirely understand that everyone doesn't like wind turbines, but some people do. I think it's a good site. In terms of proximity to housing, we went through a comprehensive planning inquiry and it was considered fully and it was felt that it is a suitable location and hence planning permission was granted.
1: A leading children's charity is warning that pregnant women and new mothers face a postcode lottery when it comes to the availability of mental health services. The NSPCC suggests the well-being of more than one in ten newborn babies in England could be improved if all new mothers with mental illness had equal access to good services. The cooperative bank has announced a deal with regulators to plug a £1.5 billion shortfall in its balance sheet. Concerns about the bank's financial position arose after it pulled out of a deal to buy several hundred branches from Lloyd's Banking Group and its debt was downgraded to junk status by a ratings agency. The rescue deal will not involve taxpayer money or affect savers. The chief executive of the cooperative group, Ewan Sutherland, says the bank will continue to operate as normal.
15: This is purely a capital issue and it's like all
25: other UK banks. We are increasing the level of capital that we need to hold for any future stresses which may happen. So this is nothing to do with our normal everyday customers who will see no difference in the service that they get from our bank.
1: In sports news, Justin Rose is celebrating winning and, and making sporting history at the US Open. It's his first major golf title and he's the first Englishman to lift the trophy since Tony Jacklin in 1970. The weather, sunshine and showers with a top temperature of 18 degrees Celsius, that's 64 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk. Heavy breather Sporting
4: history isn't real history, is it? Just to clear that up
1: I think it's to do with sport
4: Right, you, you can't do it's G-
1: history of sport You
4: can't do a GCSE in it, can you?
1: I'm sure you can somewhere Oh, for goodness sakes History
4: is kings and queens And tiny Tim's winkle bren- bends greatly every cold year I can't remember what that is That means something Who knows what that means? Here's something for you, Dalista, because it's going to bug me now. What does Tiny Tim's winkle bends greatly every cold year mean? It's a history thing. It's about um oh, it's about crop rotation or something, isn't it? Tiny Tim's winkle bends greatly every cold year. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Forget the rest of the stuff. That's the next hour of the show. We we could get an an hour out of it, but we'll throw some other bits and pieces out there as well, including death rates in care and nursing homes are to be monitored by the regulator, the Care Quality Commission. It's estimated that a third of care and nursing homes in England don't meet all the necessary standards. Do you worry about going into a care home? And if you've had to move a loved one into a care home, how difficult was it? Work has begun on a controversial wind farm in the Bedfordshire village of Langford. Many locals don't want it, but do wind turbines actually look that bad? I think they're beautiful. And tipping. David Cameron left a £50 tip in a pizza restaurant. The meal only cost 45 quid. Meanwhile, across the Atlantic, a New York restaurant has banned tipping. Well, when did you last tip? What was the biggest tip you've ever had? facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr you can uh, send me a text 81333 start your text 3cr or give me a phone call 08459 455 555
10: across beds hearts and
14: bucks this is bbc three counties radio
4: Death rates in homes that care for elderly and vulnerable people in England are to be monitored by the regulator, the Care Quality Commission. The higher-than-expected number of deaths at two hospitals in mid Staffordshire pointed to problems of poor care there. Now, the regulator has told the BBC Panorama programme it's piloting this type of scrutiny for care and nursing homes as part of a drive to root out failures in basic care. Here's our social affairs correspondent, Alison Holt. Good morning, Alison. How widespread are concerns over poor care?
0: Good morning. Um, Well, the regulator estimates a third of care and nursing homes in England don't meet all the necessary standards. And what we're talking about here are the sort of day-to-day failures in care, which can often be difficult to identify. They're not headline grabbing, if you like, but they have a serious impact on people, particularly when they're older and they're frail. So this is about quality of life. Now, Joyce Zanoni's mother, Kathleen Reed, had Alzheimer's. In her last month, she lost more than 15% of her body weight, yet the home where she lived didn't ask a doctor to visit her for five months. And when Mrs Zanoni saw her mother's room, there was damp on the walls and a window was mouldy and cracked. She'd had concerns for some time, but didn't feel they'd really been dealt with. Can you imagine somebody who can't express themselves...
10: And doesn't have a voice and is so so vulnerable
0: it's sort of like
10: being cooped up and just rotting there has to be some sort of system where somebody takes the lead at the outgo of concerns being raised whether it's by a family or whether it's by whistleblowers that actually
0: works because at the moment it doesn't work it simply doesn't work now, the home maintains Mrs. Reed's weight loss was due to the progression of that illness and says the damp was the result of a downpour the night before. Mrs. Reed died several weeks after her daughter discovered her weight loss. The local safeguarding team concluded that Mrs. Reed had suffered from neglect and um, inspectors went into the home afterwards. They've been again recently and say that it has improved, although minor concerns remain.
4: So what is the regulator planning?
0: Well, the Care Quality Commission has the job of overseeing care in nursing homes. It's um, been highly criticised in the past, and what it says it's doing now is it's introducing specialist inspectors. It also wants to hear more from families and from staff. And it's told BBC Panorama it will monitor death rates in homes. If they're unexpectedly high, then that will trigger an investigation. At the moment, they're piloting this and they say they're in the the foothills of the science on, on using statistics in this way. But it is the type of scrutiny that's already been used to point to problems in hospitals, for instance, in mid Staffordshire. David Bean is the regulator's chief executive.
19: We are going to be absolutely clear about what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable and we're absolutely determined to do this. This is our job to identify where care is not acceptable. We also need to identify not just where care is unacceptable, but where care is of a high quality.
0: It is worth pointing out, for because anyone who has a relative in a care home is, is going to worry about them. But most care homes are good, according to the regulator. But they say this is about making sure everyone gets good care quality care when they need it.
4: Alison Holt, thank you very much. You can see more of that story on Panorama. Elderly care condition critical. That's on BBC One tonight. Now, listening to that is Dr John Beer, the Chair of Action on Elder Abuse. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ian. John, we've been hearing from people this morning who are worried about care homes. Do you think tougher regulation will make homes that are falling short better?
19: uh it certainly will help and i think all homeowners and managers need to be concerned that uh, when the regulators come that uh, they will find their homes in a good condition and a good state but i think it is dangerous for us to leave it just to the regulators uh as much as they they can improve their quality and i know they are uh it's up to all of us who have relatives or friends in care homes to be checking ourselves that it's good enough and it's up to managers and owners not to put their heads on their own pillows at night without being sure that the people in their care are similarly well cared for.
4: Now, listen, I I do want to stress that most care homes are, are, uh, you know, at least good, and some of them are excellent. But is part of the problem... The, the way they recruit staff. I've had an email from Mark uh, who who says, I've found that job centres and work programmes have tried to encourage people to work in care homes uh, where years ago they would have been interested in work. Mark says, uh, I was asked what I wanted to do. I said a, a forklift truck driver, uh, but I was told I may have to go and work in a care home. So th- quite often they're recruiting the wrong kind of people, aren't they?
19: Um. They may be. Um, I I don't think that work in care homes is particularly popular any longer um, because it is a very hard and demanding job, and I absolutely agree with you. Most of the people who do these jobs are good and caring, but if we don't recruit staff well enough um, or if we don't pay them well enough or train them well enough, then we will get poor outcomes. And it all comes back, really, in the end to, are we going to take this seriously in this country? Are we going to give it the resources it needs? And I don't think that we do. I think when it's related to children, we say, oh, this matters so much. But when it comes to older people, oh, well, yes, it'll do. Forklift truck driver may be a very good carer, but it's not the job he was looking for, is it?
4: And what you, we've, heard, you're, I think, the second or third person to mention that when it's kids, we'll spend a load of money and we'll make everything as good as we can. When it's elderly people, we don't. Mm. Why do we have that attitude?
19: I, I don't understand. Uh, I think our attitude to older people in this country, and it's not the same in other countries, so it's not a universal thing. Our attitude is is not one of caring. And um, and I, when you n- need to look at that, it is how older people are portrayed in the media uh, and in drama. It is how our politicians uh, look at older people. Not always to talk, I mean, you know, to demean people by just saying, oh, they're pensioners or OAPs. This is 30 years of 40 years of many people's lives. It will, if we're lucky, be our life. And I certainly want and hope that when I'm needing that sort of service, there will be an attitude which is it's got to be good enough because the last days of our lives are one when we so need care
4: These failings and and, and often abuse uh, in care homes what can we do to
19: eradicate them? Well, I think I'll go back to the point about owners and managers. They've got to know that if it is unacceptable that they will have to answer to the law and may end up in prison. So, yes, it's not going to be brushed under the carpet any longer and they will have to take responsibility. I think local authorities have got to look at the way that they commission this work and that their commissioners make sure that where they're paying for services that they are good enough. And I think the government has to look at the way that we fund services for older people. When we discovered child abuse, we threw money at it. I know and everybody knows that with the cuts that are going on at the moment, services to older people will be cut. Homeowners will not be getting inflation increases if you don 't give people the, enough money to pay for proper care don 't be surprised if you don 't get proper care uh,
4: and, and finally John we, um, uh, our reporter spoke to a couple of women who I suspect were of slightly older older years who said they would rather die than go to a care home
19: yeah, yeah, well. I've always lived my life, and I've worked in the care industry for many, many years, and I've tried to improve services in the work where I did. But, yes, I would rather die in bed in my own home surrounded by people who love me. But if that wasn't the case, and for many people it cannot be the case, then I would want to know and I will work, and we will work in Action on Elder Abuse to keep working until it is good enough for everybody.
4: John, uh, keep up the good fight. Uh, nice to talk to you. Dr John Beer, Chair of Action on Elder Abuse. Uh, well, Jonathan is going to be picking up uh, this and talking about it after nine o'clock on the big phone and he is asking that question that I suspect was prompted by those um, uh, two ladies that Justin Deely spoke to. Would you rather die than go into a care home? You can start calling now, 08459 455 555. You can send him an email as well, if you'd like, show at bbc.co.uk. Just put down uh, a couple of lines about what you want to say. Put your phone number in as well, uh, and the team may get back uh, in touch with you. And while we're giving out emails, let me give you mine. If you've got a story that you think we should be covering on this show, it can be a huge story about... Some top national secret you've discovered, or it can be a tiny, tiny little thing that possibly only affects you. If you think it's worth us having a look at, send me an email: ian.lee.i.a.i.n.l.w at bbc.co.uk. That's also the address to write to. On Fridays, uh, the last fifteen minutes of the show, we have a little unusual musical act uh, come in. Um, and uh, we're looking for some more. So if you play some music, or if you've got a friend or a son or a mum or somebody who does something a little bit unusual musically, send me an email, ian.lee at bbc.co.uk, a little description of what they do, maybe a YouTube clip or an MP3, something like that, and uh, who knows, you could be performing live on the Ian Lee Show on BBC Three Counties
1: Radio.
14: Travel news for beds, hearts
9: and bugs.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
9: Quite a busy morning. Northbound on the M1. There's a lane closed off because of an accident between Junction 12 at Flittick and 13 at Bedford. It's lane 1, the inside lane that's closed there and it is looking slow. The southbound side has a lane blocked off because of an accident with three vehicles involved. This is, as you go past Junction 12. And lane 1 is blocked off on that side. Continuing southbound, a lane blocked off an accident with two vehicles involved this is just slightly further down between junction 11 for the A505 and 10 for the Luton Airport Spur it's nearer to junction 10 than it is to junction 11 but in both cases traffic is very slow. M25 anti-clockwise severe delays from Kings Langley to the M40, it's taking about an hour on average to get through the traffic there of course not helped by the accident in the early hours at Heathrow Terminal 4 clockwise slow into the roadworks section London Coney to the A1M, delays on the London bound M40, Bekins field to the M25, slowing in High Wycombe on the A404 and traffic starting to build on the A1M from Stevenage toward Junction 7 Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio Thank you very much Adam
4: Right, 8.17 it's uh, Monday the 17th of June I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio The leaders of some of the world's most powerful countries are gathering in Northern Ireland for the opening of the G8 Summit amid bitter international divisions about the civil war in Syria. Death rates in care homes for the elderly and vulnerable are set to be investigated by the Care Quality Commission in light of a BBC report due out tonight. In sport, Justin Rose has become the first English golfer to win the US Open for 43 years after finishing two shots clear of the field at Merriam. Coming up, we're talking tipping. David Cameron left a tip that was bigger than the cost of the meal itself. Well, what was the largest tip you've ever left? 08459 four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio.
23: Next week on the BBC. It's starting to show the strain. strain.
14: Under immense pressure, I yell.
20: A little scream right there. Baby.
14: Those legs are
28: getting heavy. It only hurts so much. This is a desperate last
5: stand because they want it so bad.
4: Wimbledon starts next Monday across the BBC. And so in control of situations. Yes. Just finishing a conversation th- with Jonathan Smith that we literally cannot have on air no. for legal reasons. No, we can't. We, 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 we were having a legally dodgy conversation, which we can do off air. Yes, but now, no. Now, no, 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 no. So had we better move on? We should probably, yes. What do you, where do you want to take this? Uh, where do you not, want to take this bad boy in park it? Had a nice
11: weekend.
4: Um, well ups oh. and downs oh gosh we're talking about care homes i opened the fate at my mum's care home oh that's the, nice the, the weekend but they were a little bit i had to go off i had some work that night and i said Look, i can't really stay very long and they were like oh and we had to open it a little bit earlier because i had to go to work and they were really disappointed fair enough because i'd arranged it ages ago so i'm really sorry oh well that's um that's a shame w- what are you going off to, to do i'm going off to work with rylan oh rylan oh if it's to work with rylan oh we like rylan hasn't he just had his teeth done He's just had uh, 20, 25 grand's worth of um, veneers joke shop teeth put into his so mouth. Do they look ridiculous up close? I think they look fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I think they look I think they look great. Lovely. You know uh, you know the the, the chattering teeth he's in joke shops. <laughs> yes. They look like those. They look like those. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a nice look. Right. <laughs> um so that was good. And then Sunday, Father's Day. Father's Day, happy
11: Father's well, Day. Well, exactly. Did you? Uh, did your children bring you anything? My dad sent me a, a text at about oh. nine o'clock saying, Jonathan, I'm lying in bed waiting for my full English breakfast.
4: Oh, dear. I don't even, even live
11: with him. He wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going to get a full English breakfast, was he?
4: I was, wor- I, was doing, I was working in the morning, very early in the morning. I came back, I had a very upset stomach, so I spent the whole day in bed. Oh, gosh. And I couldn't even go near the kids case like, case it was a bug and I gave it to them. Oh, gosh. So that was... Um, but I did, I did work with Ryland. Happy Father's Day. Gene. Thanks very much indeed, JVS. What's on your show? I know what's not on your show this morning, but what is on your show this morning?
11: Well, uh, we're picking up on this care home story that you've been talking about and the Panorama programme tonight. One in three care homes in England aren't good enough. That's according to the Care Quality Commission, who will be speaking tonight on Panorama. It was only in January we heard complaints of abuse in care homes across the three counties had increased in the last year. In Hertfordshire alone, complaints against care homes rose by 6% in 2012. Um, particularly interested to hear some of the people that Justin was talking to a little earlier. It seems that there are people out there who would they were saying they'd rather top themselves yep. than and than go into a, a care home. home. Mm. Well from nine this morning I want to hear your views. Would you rather die than go into a care home? Are they really that bad? If you've had experience I want your view on the big phone in, oh eight four five nine four double five, five double five, would you rather die than go into a care home?
4: How big's your tip?
11: Uh ten percent normally. Yeah. But if it's if there's not good service, then nothing. Ten percent's a little tight, isn't it? I heard you saying that
4: earlier. I don't think so. It's below the expected norm. I think twelve point five is kind of the, the the lowest you can do without. I thought that was American. No, no, that's that's, that's a, it's sort of between twelve point five and fifteen. Ten percent is a little bit on the tight side. It's
11: easy to work out though. I mean, you try and tell me what if a bill comes to thirty seven pounds ninety seven. What's twelve point five percent? I wouldn't have a clue. Four pounds twenty three. Real? oh look at you you're like a child genius you're like that uh like that ginger haired child that became a boy no that became a woman
4: oh yes L- uh, the, um, the, oh uh, the antiques expert yes. Wogan. um Laurie's lorries uh, well you like him uh, thanks very much <laughs> <laughs> email
14: 3cr at bbc.co.uk bbc three counties radio
4: Tipping. We're talking about tipping today. It's in the papers that David Cameron went to Pizza Express, left a 50 quid tip. The meal cost £45. Pounds. Meanwhile, across the Atlantic, a New York restaurant... New York! New York! New New York! A New York restaurant has banned tipping, saying its staff get paid enough. Well, tipping can cause lots of stressful problems. How much to tip, when, who, cash or card? Well, Justin Dealey, who I, I bet has never left a tip has been out to see what
5: you think. Maggie, are you a tipper, yes or no? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Who do you tip? Uh hairdresser. Yeah. Restaurants. Yeah. Taxis. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have many of them, though. I can't afford them. Have you got any money left? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, in general, how much do you tip, it? If you've got your Right, Maggie, I usually is 15, and I give her 18. Three pound tip? Yes, because she's so good. That's generous. What yeah. about a taxi driver? Quid. Yeah. Restaurant? All depends what it's like. If it's good, more. Yeah. Less, if it's horrible. Don't pay for the bill if it's horrible. Really? No. I've refused to pay many a time. Have you? Hm. Mm. And what's happened? Well, I just walk out. So hang on. You've actually walked out of a restaurant I without paying? I have walked out of a restaurant. Have they chased you? Yes, and I've told them I've got the right to walk out, but they have to get the police if they want to. Have and the, that is the lure. Have the police ever been called? No, no. Maggie, I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to mess with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I Bye. usually get a free meal as well. I'm going. Bye. Uh, what about yourself, Lee? Um, you're last on this one. Uh, are you a
13: tipper? I certainly am, yes. Yeah? And um, I tip at restaurants, um, taxis when I use them. Um, restaurants generally do 10%, but again, it depends on the service. But I do like to make sure it gets to the waitress, as opposed to just being put on the bill, which I do object to, I must admit.
5: Now, Sheila, first of all, David Cameron uh, has left a £50 tip at Pizza Express. What's your reaction to that?
30: <laughs> He's got more money than sense. Yeah. <laughs> now, Sorry.
5: what about yourself? Who do you tip?
21: Just a hairdresser and, you know. And if you get good service at a restaurant, I give it a tip. So I'm
5: going to ask you a very personal question right now. How much does it cost to have your hair cut? A cut and blow-dry £28. £28. And what do you tip? Just a pound. Just a pound?
6: Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, every, every little helps.
5: So you don't round it up to thirty; it's twenty-nine no, no, pounds. No, no. Because
24: no. one goes on the card and one comes out the purse. Right.
5: Okay. <laughs> and if you go to a restaurant, if you get good service, you will tip. If you don't, you won't. It's as simple as that for you.
21: Exactly. Yes. Yes. If you know, if they're rude or you know, and the service isn't good, you know, they don't deserve it.
5: Generally, about what ten percent? If you do tip. Yeah. Yeah.
21: Ten percent.
4: I don't, there's Justin. Didly there, thank you, Justin. I don't think the rules say that you can walk out of a restaurant without paying and they have to call... I don't think you, you're allowed to do that, are you? Well, Heather Pickering is a uh, protocol consultant. Heather, that's that's not the rule, is it?
21: Uh, yes, it is, actually. You don't have to pay for a bad meal. If I think... Oh. Now, I'm not sure about the law on this, but in, it, it used to be if, yeah. you, if you eat three-quarters of it... Um, I, I mean...
4: I, Second, if you eat three-quarters of it and no more, and it's a bad meal, you don't have to pay? You
21: don't have to pay... But, I mean, this has happened to me, or at least not to me, the person I was with, who who was very good at complaining. Um, We always used to leave a name and address. We used to ask for the area manager's name. And inevitably, um, we'd be given a free bottle of wine or an extra brandy or whatever. So yeah, you ca- you you are entitled
4: to yeah. Oh. Now l- let's talk about tipping about who we're supposed to tip. Hairdressers. I've just started seeing a new lady, a new lady hairdresser. Was I supposed to tip her the other week?
21: Um, yes, ha- hairdressers, uh-huh. restaurants, and taxes uh-huh. are the the sort of three basics that I always tip. But then I'm old fashioned, you see. So I I, I don't know really. But um, I mean, some countries you don't tip at all. No, and they give it you back.
4: I know. Well, in Japan, it's considered rude to tip. I, don't you wish we had that over here, Heather? It would make life so much easier.
21: Well, uh, yes, but I wonder how much people are paid in Japan. You see, a lot of
4: restaurants
21: have to make up to a living wage with their tips, and in other cases, the um, you know the proprietors used to nick the tips.
4: So if you're in a, in a restaurant, Heather, and you've had a, a decent meal, the service has been okay, w- what are we supposed to tip? Is 10% a little tight? Well, it depends
21: on the restaurant type, and it depends where you are. I mean, if, if you're in a Michelin-starred restaurant in the middle of London, 10% is a bit mean. If you're in an Indian restaurant in a small town in the middle of Northamptonshire, um, it's, it's reasonable. It does. So it, it depends, you see, really.
4: Yeah, I, I, there are a lot of factors in this country. Uh, Heather, do we are we supposed to tip the gentleman who takes our bags to our hotel room? I know we do in the states, and I well, disapprove of that strongly. But over here,
21: well, uh, yes. Oh, I mean, I, I used to do a lot of work with travel um, management companies. Yeah. And y- y- in those days, you reckoned um, on ten p um, per per item
4: sorry when was this in the 70s well
21: no it was in the 80s right i mean it's probably gone up since 10p an item you yeah. could not give someone 30 pence no but the, these were group um big <sighs> groups
4: oh i see right okay um
21: and i you know so a coach
4: I, load of people turning a up coach right load of
21: people yeah and you would give it in advance okay because that's what you did i mean <sighs> you know, there will always be rich people or people who throw their weight around who put money into the back pocket mm. to ensure promptness. I mean, this is what tipping means, to ensure promptness. You know, if you want to get to Heathrow on time to catch your plane, if if you want to be sure of a good table, you... you Shove money in a back pocket in advance. Does
4: that work, Heather? Because I once tried to bribe a, a, a waiter in a restaurant to get to get a good table by suggesting maybe he'd dropped ten pounds on the floor and he'd like to take it. And he said, "No, no, no, it's not mine." I said, "No, I, I, I think it is yours. If you want it, and maybe we could." No, it's not. So, does that actually ever work?
21: Um, well, yes, it does work. Oh. I think you were just a bit clumsy about <laughs> it, or you picked a particularly honest waiter, or he was afraid of being found Possibly.
4: Out. Hey, the final question, what's the biggest tip you've ever left?
21: Um, um, oh, 20%, I suppose. But you see, you know, if you're out with someone, then women don't usually tip. It's
4: only if oh. you're with a girlfriend. I mean, I'm sexist too. Yeah, we go. I'm and yeah. sexy. I see. That is why you're keen to keep tips going, because you don't have to do it.
21: Um, probably, yeah. Heather, it's nice but to then, talk to you. You know, it's the advice you give people. You're right. Heather,
4: we have to end it there. That's Heather Pickering, uh, who is a protocol consultant. 08459 four double five five double five. It's the blokes that have to give the tips. Listen, you've got the votes. You can um, upgrade from nurses to doctors. You should start paying tips, for goodness sakes, ladies.
9: Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio.
9: Northbound M1, one lane's closed off, an accident between Flittick and Bedford, Junctions 12 and 13. On the southbound side, there's a lane block because of an accident at Junction 12, so same sort of area. That one apparently had three vehicles involved. And continuing southbound, another lane blocked off. It's the inside lane again, and it's an accident with two vehicles involved between Junction 11 at the A505 and 10 at the Luton Airports. But quite near to Junction 10, that one. Clockwise M25, very slow into the roadworks, Junction 22 at London Coney to 23 at the A1M. Anti clockwise slow from Essex at the M11, all the way round and through the roadworks toward Potters Bar. And then as you continue anti clockwise, severe delays from Kings Langley at Junction 20 all the way to the M3 at Junction 12. Delays of nearly two hours again through that stretch, not helped by the accident at Junction 14 in the early hours. The M40, very slow London-bound beckonsfield to the M25, and then patches of slow-moving traffic on the A1, St to at the Black Cat roundabout, the A1M from Hitchin to Stevenage, and then into London on the A1 through Boreham Wood. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thanks very much. It's 8.30, time for the news and
4: sport on BBC Three Counties Radio, with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs.
10: This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
1: headlines the leaders of some of the world's most powerful countries are gathering in northern ireland for the opening of the g8 summit amid bitter international divisions about the civil war in syria death rates in care homes for the elderly and vulnerable are set to be investigated by the care quality commission in light of a bbc report due to air tonight and 10 wind turbines are being erected on land near langford in bedfordshire despite a 1000 name petition from local campaigners
14: three county
1: sports bbc three counties radio Justin Rose made history overnight when he won the U.S. Open golf at Merion. The 32-year-old finished two shots ahead of Phil Mickelson, and in doing so, became the first English winner since Tony Jacklin at Hazeltine in 1970.
15: Tony Jacklin was the pioneer. Obviously, the PGA Tour and you know golf has become a lot more global. There's a lot more of us, um, you know, international players playing over here. So I think that to see us players start to come through and win these championships is probably was always going to be on the cards. But Jacklin did it maybe when it was out of the norm, and uh, we certainly grew up um, dreaming about emulating.
1: Him. alistair cook made a captain's innings as england's cricketers beat new zealand by 10 runs to reach the semi-finals of the champions trophy cook was england's top scorer with 64 in cardiff as they set new zealand a victory target of 170 in a rain hit match reduced to 24 overs per side
16: maybe we, we set our, our, our sights a little bit too high 180 190 you know if we'd have got that that would have been obviously a very good score but um i thought the way we bowled those first four overs especially was fantastic we just kept picking up wickets when we needed them today in that, in that chase
1: Andy Murray's had the perfect preparation for Wimbledon. He claimed a third title at London's Queen's Club, beating Marin Cilic in three sets, 5, seven, seven, five six, three. Murray was delighted to win, having been forced to miss the recent French Open with a back injury.
16: I worked very hard in the, the time that I had off to try and get myself back in the best shape possible, and I couldn't have done it. Uh, obviously, without my team, they've helped me a lot. They've been very patient with me, and uh, yeah, it's down to them why I was able to come out and, and play, uh, play so tough in the last two matches.
1: And finally, football. Watford and MK Dons are among the seeded teams in the southern section for today's draw for the first round of the Capital One Cup. Stevenage and Wickham are unseeded. And that's a lot. I'll be back with more news and sports in half an hour's time. Call
10: 08459
14: 455
4: 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Wind turbines, care for the elderly, and oh, I'll have a bit of that Kit Kat. Oh, sorry, I was, I was saying what I was... I was catchphrasing there. I was saying what I was seeing, which is a, a no-no. 08459 double five five double five. if you've had to move uh, a, a loved one into a care home, how difficult was it? And why did you choose that particular care home? What was it that that stood out? amongst the others. 08459 four double five five double five. Now work has begun on a wind farm in the Bedfordshire village of Langford. Ten turbines uh, are being erected by the cooperative group after they receive planning permission for the development despite a petition of over 1,000 signatures against. One of the reasons they give against these turbines is the noise. Well we've had some texts about wind turbine noise. I'll get to those in a bit. Uh, the turbines are expected to generate enough electricity to power 11,500
5: homes in the area. Just indeed is in Langford. Morning, Justin. Yes, hi Ian. I've been on um, East Road in Langford. Uh, Work has started, as you mentioned, and due to finish in August. Now, the chairman of the parish council says that the property prices have already been affected. Over a thousand people have signed this petition, and noise is a main concern to local people. The turbines are going to be around 800 metres from people's homes, but this next clip I find absolutely fascinating because, despite the turbines being 800 metres away, and people complaining about the noise they've actually got a train track which is literally 10 meters away from people's homes this is joan take a listen to this
30: my name's joan rutt and i'm against it mainly for what's been said before but also it concerns me that the people in this village who are autistic or who have any physical condition that can be affected by the noise the continual noise and also the possibility of flicker which is not being mentioned at all that it sort of, you know, will have an adverse effect and the children will be out in the playground.
5: Now, this is quite handy. We'll talk about the noise. Let's just pick up the noise of this. Now, that train is literally metres away from people's homes. We're talking 10 metres. Uh, the turbines are going to be probably seven to 800 metres away. Surely the, the trains are going to be a lot noisier than the wind turbines.
30: They are going to be noisy, but for only a matter of seconds. And so you, you bought your house knowing that the trains were here. Mm. So you accepted it and, and sort of people just know it's a train and cut it out. It's a totally different um, aspect of noise when it's sudden like that than when it's a continual drip, drip, drip. Mm. I mean, many of sort of our um, interrogation... And, and things are done by a slow, steady drip, 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 aren't they? Mm. So, I mean, there's no comparison between a train... See, I'm talking now, and there's no train, and you've forgotten mm. the train. Yeah. But if there was a continual noise it would get into your head.
4: Justin, thanks for that. We can speak now to Linda Jackson, who lives in Langford, near the new wind turbines, and also Jonathan Lincoln from the Sustainable Energy Alliance. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Linda, Good why... Morning. Thank you. Why, Linda, why do you oppose the wind farms?
22: Well, it's not just the wind farm in Langford that I oppose. I oppose wind farms in general. Why? Why? Uh, well, I've got four overall reasons. One is the inefficiency of the turbines... The second is the shelf life of the turbines. The third is the climate changes. And the fourth is the effect upon people living by wind farms. And going back to the point that Joan was making about the noise, not a huge amount of research has been done into the effect of the noise, but there was a survey in South Australia which showed that up to 70% of the respondents living up to 5 kilometres away were negatively affected by the noise. And they could be said to be suffering from the wind turbine syndrome.
4: Well, Linda, let's put, let's put those points to Jonathan. Starting with the noise, Jonathan. That's one of the, the big complaints that we hear. Okay, noise is
31: one of the misleading claims used by the anti wind farm campaigners. I've been to many wind farms, and noise is not an issue. My parents live a mile from a big turbine in Nottinghamshire. And they love it. It is not noisy, it is efficient, it's sustainable. Well, listen sustainable to this, this This text
4: energy. from from Junior Luton. Uh, she says, uh, Ian, are you listening to what people are protesting about uh, regarding wind turbines? It's repetitive noise. I'm afraid I would feel the same if I was relaxing in my garden with a constant ticking noise in the background. Does it have that That constant repetitive noise, Jonathan?
31: No, I, I'd say wind turbines are not noisy. I live next to a busy main road in Lincolnshire, That is constant noise. I mean, that is far, far louder than any wind farm I've been to. As I said, wind farm noise is a a misleading and alarmist claim used by anti-wind farm campaigners.
4: Linda, you're misleading and alarmist.
22: (laughs) I may be being misled by some of the results that have been published. I'm not sure that I'm an alarmist, because I really don't think that there have been sufficient surveys done As I said, this uh, wind tunnel turbine syndrome, it's known to cause insomnia, headaches, nausea, stress...
4: Is that true, Jonathan?
31: Well, there was was a survey in Australia which came to the conclusion that this is psychological. I mean, many people um, believe there are issues when really there are no issues whatsoever. And this was proven in, the, in this sort
4: of survey in Australia. What about the shelf life? Linda it seems to suggest they don't have a particularly long shelf life.
22: <laughs> well. it's,
31: it's 25 years, which is the same as a, a conventional power station. Mm-hmm. I mean, a nuclear power station has a, a design like 25 years. They're decommissioned, which is paid for by the taxpayer. Um, and conventional power stations have a limited lifespan. Wind farms, 25 years, they can be repowered after that. That's, that's not an issue at all.
22: Well, the shelf life is only actually 20 years, not 25 years, and only up to 80% of the material that is used can be recycled. And the carbon fibre, which is used in the actual fan of the turbine, though it can be recycled, is not as strong as it was once it has been recycled. Yeah, this And these are Vesta's own figures, Vesta's being the manufacturer who are making the particular wind farms that are going into Langford. You know, w- Yes, there is a problem. Yes, whatever we have, there is going to be a problem for the recycling, but...
4: Would you rather, Linda, there was a a nuclear power plant near you?
22: Actually, having lived near Sizewell, well, then nuclear power didn't bother me. We lived there for nearly nine years.
4: Really, nuclear power bothers you less than wind turbines? Yes. Jonathan?
31: Well, that's crazy. I mean, the legacy of waste that we have to deal with, can last tens of thousands of years, and the cost of decommissioning in the UK is something like £90 billion. That's paid for by the taxpayer, like you and I. And, you know, generations to come will have to, you know, foot the bill for this dirty, polluting form of energy. Nuclear power does not belong in this day and
4: Jonathan, age. are wind turbines efficient? We do hear stories that some of the figures uh, are, are, are perhaps slightly inflated, and actually, they don't generate that much energy.
31: Well, they do. I mean, load factors for an onshore turbine are about 25%, and uh, offshore it's a higher load factor. But they're very efficient at generating energy from a sustainable and clean energy source. All fossil fuels, coal, gas, oil, and even nuclear are finite resources, and one day they're going to run out. So what do we do then? We have to go to sustainable, you know, wind, wave, and tidal. And wind power can deliver on a large scale, and it works.
4: Linda, uh, there will be some people listening to this saying you're a NIMBY.
22: <laughs> yes, I would freely admit that there is an element of not in my backyard. But having said that... They have to, go,
4: they have to go somewhere, though, don't they? Yes, so so like why shouldn't I it be? I am
22: actually against wind farms. It's not just the fact that there is a wind farm coming into Langford. I am against wind farms. And that's it. You know, it, it's... I admit that there is an element. There has to be an element. I think if we were all honest, there would be an element about anything. Would we really want to live next to a coal mine, for
4: instance? Well, I I wouldn't mind if they... There's a field near me, just behind me. I wouldn't mind if they built a wind farm there. I think they look majestic. I'd much rather have that than blooming size well next to me. (laughs) Perhaps, but as
22: it's already been pointed out, you do get accustomed to... certain buildings look at the um, hangars at Cardington. You
4: could become accustomed to these wind turbines then, couldn't you?
22: And maybe we will, we don't Mm. know but I still feel that there are certain questions that have not been answered. What about the effects on the climate change that these wind turbines are going to have?
4: Jonathan what is the effect on climate change?
31: We need to address climate change. It is the greatest threat that we're facing today. And how
4: do wind turbines um, affect it?
31: A wind, a wind power obviously offset carbon emissions from power stations that otherwise would produce carbon emissions. For instance, uh, a wind farm off North Wales, a big offshore wind farm being built right now, will power something like 400,000 homes every year with clean, green, stoner energy. That means you we're know, using less carbon, uh, producing less carbon, and using less coal and oil. That is having an impact, lessening the impact of climate change, which will affect all of us, and more so in the future. We have a, a commitment, international a com- commitment, to address climate change and to meet renewable energy targets. Jonathan, can
4: why are we why are we building these on land near small villages near Linda's home? Why aren't the, the, surely it's more efficient to have them all in the sea?
31: We need a mixture of offshore and onshore. Onshore are cheaper. And, but they, they
4: generate um, less energy, don't they?
31: Well, there's a lower load factor, that is true. But we need a mixture of onshore and offshore. Offshore is more medium-long term. Onshore is can be built now. And they can deliver clean energy, the local energy, which goes into the local grid. And so you're losing less you know, in transmission loss. Um, I mean, the big power stations are like dinosaurs in the UK. They are literally close to being uh, decommissioned. As are nuclear power stations now, we need alternatives, and wind
4: power gives you alternatives. When you hear people like Linda, who are upset, uh, she doesn't like wind farms in general, but, but people are upset having them built near their homes, what's your reaction, Jonathan? Do you understand why they could be upset?
31: I understand perhaps they're afraid of change, but change evolution, we have to look to the future. We've taken a number of anti-wind farm groups to the ASA, uh, with claims in their leaflets, which include tourism, noise, health impacts, efficiency. And recently we took one with the 11 points they made on the leaflet. All 11 claims they made were found to be without substantiation and were called misleading. So if they're based on these misleading claims, how can we take these
4: people seriously some of it is untruthful linda your last word to you (laughs)
31: well all
22: i can say is that a study in texas based on the satellite data showed a rise in the ground temperature of one degree centigrade if that continues then that area and of course spread that out over the whole world then actually global warming is going to happen because of the wind farms That also has a knock-on effect, and upon the wildlife that is living there. If the temperature of the sea is going to be warmed, right? Oh, sorry. uh, Go up, then obviously some of the animals are going to be adversely affected. Equally, what about the effects of the loss of wind power? The moisture in the air will not be carried as far. Therefore, it will not be dropping in the same way as it was before.
4: Very quickly, Lynx, just we're running out of time, I, I just want to read you a quick text from David in Marsh Farm. David says, uh, we went to a campsite um, in North Devon last year, very close uh, to a wind turbine. Uh, sat, we did not hear anything from it. They were very peaceful to look at. So th- this sound thing could be a myth, couldn't it? Have you, been, have you been and stood near a wind turbine?
22: Uh, w- at the ones up near um, Kettering, yes. And were they noisy? I found them noisy.
4: Do you think maybe you're just a little picky?
22: I couldn't answer that one.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Linda, it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Linda Jackson there uh, from Langford, uh, who lives uh, near where the new wind turbines are going to be, and also Jonathan Lincoln from the Sustainable Energy Alliance.
14: Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs.
10: BBC Three Counties Radio
9: still problems on the M1 northbound. A lane closed off with queues because of an accident between Flitwick and Bedford, Junction 12 and 13. The southbound side we've got two separate accidents that happened a little bit earlier. First off, three vehicles involved past Junction 12 at Flitwick. It's still queuing around there. And then one lane blocked off because of an accident with two vehicles involved between the A505 and the Luton Airport Spur, Junction 11 and 10. Quite near to Junction 10 is where the accident happened there. M25 anti-clockwise. you've still got severe delays from Kings Langley round to the M3, Junction 20 to 12. Today's of nearly two hours, not helped by the accident early this morning at junction 14 for Heathrow Terminal 4. Very slow on the London bound M40 from Beaconsfield down to the M25, probably because of all that M25 traffic. And then patches of traffic on the A1 causing queues. St Neots down to the Blackcap roundabout along the A1M from Hitchin to Stevenage and then into London on the A1 through Boreham Wood. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thanks very much.
4: Right, it's 8.47, it's Monday the 17th of June. I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The leaders of some of the world's most powerful countries are gathering for the opening of the G8 Summit amid bitter international divisions about the civil war in Syria. Death rates in care homes are set to be investigated by the Care Quality Commission in light of a report on tonight's Panorama. And in sport, Justin Rose has won the US Open and become the first Englishman to claim a major golf title since Nick Faldo in 1996. Coming up, last 15 minutes of the show, do you worry about going into a care home and how difficult was it for you to move a loved one into a care home? We'll talk about that and more after the weather with Kate Kinsella. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three
14: Counties Radio.
3: Good morning. Well, it's a rather cloudy start to the new working week. We've seen a little bit of rain moving across all three counties as well through this morning. Starting to dry out a little bit in parts out towards West Hertfordshire and out through St Albans. It's looking quite dry there at the moment, but there is still some rain coming and going through the course of the day. It's not really causing a problem for the temperature, though, as we're looking at a maximum later on of 18 Celsius. So, feeling warm, that's 64 degrees in Fahrenheit. Now, overnight, we're hanging on to the cloud, and that's going to make things feel a little more muggy. We're looking at a minimum temperature of 11 Celsius, 52 degrees in Fahrenheit, and we can't rule out one or two showers moving up, particularly towards the southern parts of the counties uh, through the later part of the night. Now, for tomorrow, similar start to today, but we should see one or two more brighter spells and some sunshine as well. One or two potentially heavy showers. Once the sun does shine, it's going to warm up quite quickly. We're looking at getting up to a maximum tomorrow of 22 Celsius. That's 72 degrees in Fahrenheit and that's your forecast thank you very much
11: Every weekday morning, questions are asked. What should the government do next to stop people smoking? Who do you blame for our failing high streets? Opinions are formed.
13: There is no place in a civilised society for people like that. They should get real. Part of me says it is
14: wrong. And you get to have your say.
21: I think the whole thing is absolute garbage,
14: frankly. Join in with the big phone-in from Nine. Not everyone will agree. What an interesting conversation. The JVS Show. Weekday mornings from Nine. on BBC Three Counties Radio.
4: It's always a cracking listen, I thoroughly recommend. Don't switch off at nine o'clock. Do do give him a few minutes at least and see how you get on with him. I think it's a brilliant uh, radio show. This morning we've been talking about care homes. A third of care and nursing homes in England don't meet all the necessary standards. That's the estimate from the regulator, the Care Quality Commission. Well, you can uh, see it tonight. It's the subject of tonight's Panorama programme. And I've been asking, do you worry about going into a care home? Well, we sent Justin D out and about to find out what you think.
5: Betty, how concerned are you about going into a care home?
6: Well, all you hear on the television is te- they are terribly, ca- uh, they have terrible care and I would rather take an overdose than go
5: in one. You'd seriously rather kill yourself yes, rather I than go into a care home? If
6: I've got all my marbles then, of course, if I haven't, if I've got Alzheimer's, I wouldn't know, would I? But it's very sad you've got that attitude though, isn't it? Well, it is, yes, you expect, but that's, uh, it just happens nowadays doesn't it? people don't care for old people. Yeah. Can
5: you tell us what your concerns would be? I think it's the staffing, the care, the caring doesn't seem to be very good. No, I'd rather take an overdose, like, I'll take it with her. (laughs) Ray, how worried and how concerned are you about going into a care home one day?
7: Well, I wouldn't want to go in one because uh, I all the bad publicity and, uh, you know, unless you've got a lot of money, you're not going to go into a good one.
5: I've just spoken to two ladies who said they would prefer to
7: kill themselves
5: ahead of going into a care home, would you go along with
7: that? No, I think life's sweet. I wouldn't do that. No. But
5: it would concern
7: you, though? Oh, it would certainly concern me, yeah. I've got, no, I've got no confidence at all in care homes or even, you know, all the cuts that this government's doing. You can't have, you know, if you pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys working there. And they're always the lowest-paid workers, unfortunately, which are not going to attract the better sort of people that care.
4: Okay, who else, when um, they heard that report uh, and heard that alarm going off in that report, checked their watches? Who else? We all did here. We all looked around where's that me? Where's that bleeping coming from? Uh, Well, earlier on in the show, I spoke to Russ Simper. Russ, his dad, died in 2009, four weeks after he went went to live in a care home. The coroner at the inquest into the death of Alan Simper found his care had been woefully inadequate. When he went into the home, he had three pressure sores. Four weeks later, he had 18.
23: When he came out, the bed sores were so severe uh, that uh, you could see bone there's kind of two or three things going on first of all guilt that i killed my dad i should basically have just put him in the car and taken him away maybe we'd have stood a chance second of all uh angry that the trust put into a care home um was 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 completely and utterly rejected and 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 didn't transform itself or materialize itself in any type of care that i would have um thought was correct and thirdly Looking at the commercial backing these people have, the, these are not, you know, these don't just suddenly spring about because somebody has a good idea. These are money-making firms.
4: Well, um, Pat House and Regis on this. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Pat, what's your take on, on care homes? I think
25: uh, well, a lot has been said about the staffing. You, if you pay a minimum wage, you don't necessarily get the skills to go with that minimum wage. And the staff are tend to be overworked they're more interested um maybe rightly so in some cases because of the wage that they need to get home because they've got families to look after as well and that's where you you get the lack of care i mean my mother-in-law she um when my wife went in to visit her with her sister she was nearly unconscious and the staff didn't recognize her. she didn't have um any fluids put into her for a while Or any food because she rejected it and she had dementia as well and they rushed her off to hospital and she nearly died in hospital so you know the care is not out there because the staff are not trained or paid enough if you pay a decent wage you will get a decent staff that can look after any parents that you put in there
4: Pat, thanks very much. I want to read a couple of uh, uh, these Facebook comments. Jackie Edwards says, I'm only 51 and already thinking about old age and how I will not be going into a care home. That's due to the fact I worked in a good few homes and I saw how some staff treated the residents. Um, Leslie says, I hope I'm dead before that comes into play. Uh, Well, you can carry on this conversation with uh, JVS after nine o'clock. He's asking this morning, would you rather die than go into a care home? You can start calling him now if you want. 08459 455 555. Lots of stuff this morning. We've also been talking uh, about wind farms, wind turbines. I think they're quite beautiful. And this isn't me being... Sometimes you say things on the radio to be a little bit controversial and, uh, and stir up some debate. I don't think I'm giving away too many secrets of how phone in radio works, but I think wind turbines are pretty stunning. There's a big field behind me. I wouldn't object if they were built there, I don't think. Glenn's in Leighton Buzzard. Morning, Glenn. Morning, Ian. Am I being a little bit stupid by, by thinking wind turbines look wonderful? No, I think they look quite nice as well. Would you would you object if they built one next door to you? I'd have one in the bottom of my garden. Really? Yep. Because I'd rather that than an open cast coal mine. Working 12
25: hours a day from 7 o'clock in the morning till 12, 7 at night extracting coal, dust. Uh, for 10 years, I think, one of the sites where I worked at, Uh, was
19: disruption. So, yeah, wind farms,
4: lovely. We spoke to Linda earlier on, who lives uh, in Langford, which is where uh, some um, turbines are potentially going to be built. She said that she was happier when she lived next door to Sizewell, the nuclear power plant.
28: (laughs) I'd rather
4: her than me. Yeah, I I, I think I would as well. Uh, Glenn, thank you. Charlie's and Hemel. Morning, Charlie. Oh, good morning. What what do you think about wind turbines?
28: Uh, I... Uh, what sort of reduction will we get in our electricity
4: bills? Oh, here we go. I like the way you're thinking. Uh, I, I'm not sure if we'd get any, but it would mean that my grandchildren would have electricity.
28: Uh, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, they're putting them up all over the place and they're going to make millions and millions and millions because it's working on wind. Yeah. Uh, a nice reduction would be nice. I'd have one in my front garden or my back garden
4: i you have two. so y- if you got a nice little discount, you'd yep. have two wind turbines built. What, what kind of discount would you hope to see, Charles? Well, uh, the way they're talking
28: about this free electricity, I just want half.
4: Yeah. yeah, you want half of some free electricity.
28: Oh yeah, they can put one up in my back garden, one in front. Okay. No
4: problem. Charlie, I, I appreciate it. I don't think it's going to work like that. I, th- I think the thing is, it means that we will have electricity when our electricity runs out doesn't mean you can have half of free electricity. It means that my grandchildren will be able to um, play Xbox 7. Or whatever it's going to be there. It's going to be brilliant then. Uh, Tony has emailed in. "Uh, These people that live out in the country and the villages make me sick. That's a sweeping statement. Imagine if that was all he'd written in his email. He hasn't. He continues. They annoy me that they want all the mod cons of gas, electric, water, broadband, but they're not prepared to chip in with a bit of energy. I bet they'd soon moan if they did not have any any energy supply. What is it with the not in my backyard? Put it in the town somewhere a bit overcrowded already. Come on, village people. This is Tony speaking, by the way. This isn't me. (laughs) He he really doesn't like you. We need to get Tony into a village to do a report for us. Come on, village people. And he means villagers, not the, the pop group. Stop being so selfish and chip in with a contribution to the UK's desperate need for energy. Regards, Tony controversial uh you can go up and have your say on that even though this show is finishing you can go to the facebook page and continue your say w- we do look at all the facebook comments facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr uh don't forget if you've got a story you, you think we should be doing on the show or if you're an interested musician for our friday morning music slots something a little bit uh different would be nice, please. You can send me an email. I-A-I-N dot at bbc uk Don't forget as well, you can go and download our i- don't, don't, I can't say it download, download the iPod podcast. <laughs> I'm really hungry, I need some sugar. Go to iTunes type in Ian Lee and download the podcast, that's all you need to do. Uh, JVS after 9 o'clock is asking, would you rather die than go into a care home? <manually>
14: Travel news for beds, cards and bugs.
9: BBC Three Counties Radio. Northbound on the M1, that you're still going to find a lane closed because of an accident between Flittick and Bedford, junctions 12 and 13. The inside lane shut off and it's been shut for about an hour now. Southbound is looking slow. There was a three-vehicle accident a little earlier this morning at Junction 12 Flittick, which has since cleared, but we've got problems. A little bit further down with a lane blocked off by a different accident. This one was two vehicles involved between Junction 11 at the A505 and 10 at the Luton Airport Spur. The accident happened much nearer to Junction 10. Anti-clockwise M25, severe delays. Kings Langley at Junction 20, right the way around to the M3 at Junction 12. Could take you the best part of two hours to get through. This is all after the accident earlier at Heathrow, Junction 14. Northbound M40 starting to slow up from Loudwater to High Wycombe and the A404 is looking busy as well. The A5 round Dunstable, slowing up past the West Street traffic light. Trains and tubes running fine. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. I think my brain
4: had a little meltdown there. I need some sugar in me. And someone who can pour sugar all over me is JVS. On FM, AM, online
11: and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. What a creepy image. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Coming up this morning on The Big Phone In, would you rather die than go
32: into a care home? One in three care homes in England aren't good enough.